From Hong Kong, Chicago, and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 85. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello, good morning. And hello, Perry. Hello, good evening. Oh, welcome back. Um, and I've completely I'm worked out what to say because we haven't talked about the weather. So I think I'm, I'm going to have to go into the weather because I can't do this podcast any other way, Johnny. Uh, it's looking very, I, I guess, English here this morning. It's just grey and misty. And I've already been out for a morning bike ride, and it was gray and misty. So that's not, it's not, in other words, it's not very exciting. <laughs> well, that's that's pretty much exactly the same weather as we got here at the moment. So, um, <laughs> so that, yeah, very, very topical, very accurate, because it, it is very misty. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was misty yesterday, and it was misty, misty today. But I, I like misty, uh, because I, you can do some I, yeah. really interesting stuff, can't you? Yeah, you can. I, I, I could have... Uh, well, I, I'm kind of a jerk, though. I mean, I really only like shooting if it's like, you know, chiaroscuro light where it's just black and white and shadows and sculptural. So when it's gray, I'm just like kind of bored. But I mean, I could have thrown a blue filter on something to make it even look more misty. And that would be cool. That's, that's actually something I heard on uh, the last Sunday 16 podcast where and this was actually something that was tagged on to the end of the show. And it's where uh, Graham and uh, Nasir Hamed, Hamed um, went for a walk in, in Graham's village, which we actually had a, 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 a preview of that when Graham was on last week. He described it in quite colourful language at the time. But um, if you want to hear that, just listen to this week's Sunday 16 and there'll be a slightly toned down version of it. Um, but one of the things that NASA came out with, he was, when he was talking about filters and how they work with, with black and white, uh, and he just, he just made the comment that a filter affects the opposite colour. Mm-hmm. And I'd never, I'd never twigged that. So yeah, yeah. I, I listened to that too, and he said, I mean, the first thing they both said was, "What do the filters do?" Um, <laughs> followed by, yeah, it raises the same color, like it brightens the same color uh, right. as the filter, and then it it darkens the opposite color, mm-hmm. which makes sense. So I mean, my takeaway from that was, and I haven't actually done it yet, was to is to just find out what the opposite colors were. Um, so I assume because when you hear about a red filter darkening blue skies, I, would I be right in assuming that uh, blue is the opposite of red? Well, you, you, what you need is one of those RGB Venn diagrams with the circle. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, yeah, Google Color Wheel. Yeah, people out there listening along on the radio, you could Google Color Wheel, and it will it will show you that precise thing. Yeah. So yeah, so blue is. Blue is directly across the spectrum from yellow, actually. Yes. Um, but, I mean, the other thing to keep in mind is that it also has to do with the way the film sees color, not necessarily your eye. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Because film, film has – different films have different sensitivities across the spectrum, so they're not all the same. And I'm speaking about black yeah. and white film. They're not, they're not all – exactly the same so some films will be more sensitive to let's say blue than than others yeah um yeah hmm. 
you already throw my theory out about blue and blue and red. But so I was thinking, oh, this is easy. This is easy. I can understand it now because I've never really quite understood why a certain color would affect certain other colors in, in the way yeah. that they do. So, but the fact that red is opposite to yellow, but it has an effect yeah. on blue. Well, you, could, <laughs> you could, you could, you could also think of it as as maybe warm and cool colors too. No, 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 Simon. It you've got three primary colors of light. Yeah. <laughs> and then so the opposite of one primary color is going to be the intersect of the other two. Right. Yes. As yeah. your Venn diagram. So when you combine blue light and green light, you get yellow light. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why uh no way, is that right? No, I screwed that up. You combine <laughs> blue and green, you get cyan, you get cyan. Right? <laughs> and that's the opposite of red. Well, I, I just want to thank you for making it all so easy for me now, because I was struggling with it before before I found that out. So <laughs> oh, there we go. Well, I've just I've just mentioned Graham there, um, and I just want to say uh, again thanks to Graham for dropping by uh, last week to uh, um, to help us out with our haiku um, competition, uh, which is uh, and just to, if people haven't heard this yet, or they want a reminder that if you want to win. The Hexanon, uh, the Konica Hexanon 40mm 1.8 pancake lens that is currently residing with Perry. Uh, we would like you to send in a haiku. You can't send more, but if you do send more than one, then please nominate one of the haikus for the, for the competition. Because I think when Graham comes back, we, we will be reading some haikus out anyways as a general thing because some people have sent in more than one haiku. So it's a case of uh, um, if you have sent in more than one haiku, we just need to know which is your uh, your entry haiku. And then we, we may read some of the others. Um, I must say that we've also had uh, 20, I think it's 24 entries. Oh, my goodness. From one person. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, which is really where, where that statement I've just made there is, is coming from. And I have actually chatted to uh, uh, Paul Friday. Um, uh, thank you for sending all those uh, haikus, Paul. Um, Was he, is he writing a book maybe and thought that maybe we could just publish it for him or what? Well, he really wants the lens. Yeah, he, he, he clearly does. And he's pushing the boat out as well. He's had to withdraw one haiku on ground of taste. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, only 23 entries per entrant please that's it so um so yeah so uh we'll be, we have quite a few in fact actually now we're up if you including uh pulls uh entries there i think we're up to about 40 haikus so oh, i i think we may have to put a closing date on this um <laughs> other, otherwise yeah we it will be a completely filled show of haikus yeah, I, 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 yeah I, nobody wants that do they so um well you know what the solution is Go on. We we have to have everyone send a photo along with their haiku so that the photo can be described and the haiku can be read. Because Graham is no, doing this. No, so. no, don't do not put ideas into people's heads, there, Johnny. No, uh, it's too late. Yeah. Well, no, that's right. Um, send a photo of your haiku to Classic Lenses Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, we're gonna gonna say let's let's put a, a closing date on this, um, and it will be next Monday. So that's Monday the twenty third. Uh, close of play. 
wherever in the world, whatever, as long as it, as long as it gets in by by Monday, uh, it will be eligible. So um, so that's it. So we we we're going to be closing the competition next week in, in seven days or so. Um, but the other part is um, I th I've already I've already thanked Graham for being on last week or not I can't quite remember but I'm going to thank him again anyway because he was it was a great laugh um, and we had a we had a good time and uh, and I think um, as you, as you will tell from one of the letters that we actually had we we actually started off in quite a raucous um, frame frame of mind right from the outset which was largely from what was said before the uh, the recording even started so um, great fun to have you Graham and uh, we look forward to you coming back soon and um, helping us with the, the haiku competition. Uh, okay, so moving on back onto this week, uh, let's start with you, Johnny. What have, what have you been up to? What, what happenings have, uh, have occurred? Oh, you guys know what happened to me. And, and <laughs> so I, I had mentioned briefly without telling the whole story of my, uh, my Roly RF35 last week, which is my um, my M mount camera that I've been using. Um, so we had on Friday, it was Friday the 13th, and it was a full moon. Um, and on that date, I managed to uh, knock the viewfinder, the, well, the rangefinder and frame lines out of alignment on my Roly. So um, it's going to go off to, I think... Mr. Gandhi over at uh, Camera Quest um, because they are the Voigtlander USA dealer. I'm pretty sure he'll do it. I check with Yoshin Yi. He does not do uh, Bessas slash Rollies. So I think that's where it's going to go. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, uh, it happens. What are you going to do? It's part of the. I, it, it will be in Perry. We're chatting about this briefly. To me, it's one of the the big pain in the asses of rangefinders is it it doesn't matter who's makes the camera it, you can knock the rangefinder out of alignment it's it's very possible yeah. to do so um and i'm not uh, i i don't perry perry i i know that you you you've adjusted these things yourself yes and you you i'm sure are more competent at doing such things than i am but i just i know that's beyond my Capabilities, so I don't even. I'm not even going to try. Um, so yeah, anyway, yeah, it kind of sucks because <laughs> yeah, I was really getting in the zone with this camera. But you know, whatever. I just I go back and shoot something else. It's not like I don't have other things to shoot. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna send that off to to be uh, taken care of and sorted out, and hopefully have it back in a month or so. Um, but I guess it uh, brings up that I never really finished the story I started to tell last week about this camera. Um, because, I, I mean, there's a good story there, I would say. Uh, so uh, I know this guy in Hong Kong. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he agreed to help me find this camera because I wanted this camera specifically for the 40 millimeter frame lines. Um, so... You know, it's a hard-to-find camera. I didn't want to buy it from Japan on eBay because I've had really no luck with Japan on eBay. Sorry, Japan. I know people love Japanese sellers. Uh, has not been my experience. So anyway, um, I didn't want to go that route. So Perry agreed to uh, basically find one for me, and he did. And he he found me a Rolly RF35, and... 
got it sent out to me and it was it was awesome and it, perry i know that you had a little bit of a well i just remember when it happened you had a little story about how you found it and, yeah, you got so lucky with that camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, as you mentioned, it's hard to find. And I was looking around and there was uh, only one kind of listed for private sale. So I went uh, and I met up with the guy. I checked it through. Everything looked okay until I looked through the viewfinder. And it was really hazy and the uh, vertical alignment was way off. Yeah. So I said to the guy, no, nah, I, I can't buy this. It, it's, it's, it's no good. So I left. And um, I, I think I told you at that point. Yeah. And then I went to a, I went to a shop that I know carries a lot of this kind of stuff. And they had two Roly RF35s in stock uh, that were pretty high priced. And then there was another one. Uh, it just happened to go the same day because I had a bit of free time. There was another one just on the right of these two that didn't have a price tag on it. And I asked them, yo, what about this one? How much does this cost? And they said, oh, we just got that one into the shop, so we haven't put a price on it yet. And I was like, okay, let, let me take a look. So I looked through, <laughs> and it was nicer than uh, the cheaper of the other two, um, although the other two were still in really good shape. So I asked him, okay, what's the best price you can give me on this? And after a bit of bargaining, I got him to sell it to me for quite a bit cheaper than the cheapest one they had in the shop. Uh, which this one was nicer than, so it should have been priced higher. So I snapped yeah. his hand off and came back. I think Johnny was asleep at the time, and I started sending pictures. I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. look at this, look at this. I got this. You're so lucky, man. Um, yeah. and, and that worked out well. Yeah, no, it did. And and to me, now, I, I probably by, maybe by Hong Kong standards, it was not as clean. But to me, I'm like, what? It's fine. So it's got a few scratches on the back. I don't care. You know what I mean? I mean, I could care less. That's about- true. I was so worried because, you know, everyone has different standards for <laughs> yeah, yeah. what they consider acceptable quality. Yeah. And so I sent Johnny all these pictures with with basically an essay detailing everything that was wrong with this camera. Yeah, yeah, Every yeah. little thing. Uh, but my reference was you had posted a picture of your Bessa R earlier with the Batman sticker on it, the blue right. Bessa. Yeah. And I looked at that and I compared it and, and I and I thought, thought, okay, this is in way better condition than your Bessa R. <laughs> right. So I think we're okay here. Yeah. So I sent it over with all yeah. these caveats and then Johnny opened it and said, yeah, yeah, it looks great. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. And it, and it does. I mean, it's like I, I, I could care less about, you know, like exterior little scuffs on the camera body you know what i mean i i don't care yeah. i just want it to work i want that you know well i want it to do what it doesn't do now which is have a great well-aligned rangefinder and viewfinder so i have to fix that but i mean no that you know i'm way more concerned about uh functionality than yeah cosmetics you know what i mean and yeah. I, I think you had you had mentioned the other thing you mentioned that there was a teeny 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 very very slight bit of kind of smokiness um, mm-hmm. in the in the viewfinder window, which I did notice, but I mean, it's like in actual use, it has like zero yeah. impact. Exactly. So it's it's, it's yeah. what I did was I shone a flashlight yeah. through the viewfinder, and I saw the the slight smokiness, and I thought, oh dear. And then I compared it with my own Bessa and my Leica M2, yeah. and it was just as bright and clear. So it's yeah. one of those things that in use is there's zero impact. You can't notice it at all. But right. if you're one of those people who's going to shine flashlights through everything you own, it's right. going to drive you crazy. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. no, so it, it's, it's awesome. I've been shooting it bit pretty much every single day 
since I got it. Um, and I've really gotten in the zone with it, which is the only reason I'm kind of bummed about not having it. Now, I mean, I have, you know, I can go, I can go right back to shooting the Batman Bessa, mm-hmm. uh, which had a half a roll of film in it still. Cause I just kind of, you know, dropped it real quick and, and started shooting the Rolly when I got that. So, but no, it's no big deal. You know, it's just, what are you going to do? It happens. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, you know, it's fixable. So anyway, that's, that, that's, that's heading off for, uh, a bit of TLC and it'll be back. And in the meantime, I will shoot a couple other things. One of which will be, which I mentioned this, uh, I think last week I mentioned that I had stumbled upon, um, a lens that I was surprised to see at KEH. They had a 10% off sale. Um, and I happen to have some, some money sitting in my PayPal account from some things I sold. So I basically got it for very little, uh, but they had a very good price on a um, Zeiss Opton Biagon uh, Red T uh, from about 1954-55 for I don't think you mentioned out. that last week. Did I not mention that? No, that's what? sexy. Yeah, it's great. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and I and I I have uh, a couple of other um, Opton Zeiss Opton lenses for contacts. I have both of the Sonars, the fifty. 1.5 and the 50f2 and I, I think i've said this a few times on the podcast um they are hands down the most nicely made lenses that i own like in terms of sheer finish and build quality mm-hmm. i mean they, they look like these the zeiss opton lenses from the mid 50s for the contacts they they look like they were made yesterday i mean they the the, the finish is spotless on them like the chrome finish is just it's got this kind of a uh, rainbow sheen to it. That's uh, like unreal. So that, and just the lens itself, it, you know, it's, it's Chrome and brass. It thing weighs, a, it's tiny and it weighs a ton. Um, so I got that. It, it showed up. Um, and of course I did, you know, what's the first thing you do? You put a flashlight through it. Um, and I, I got this, I, I give from KEH as a bargain, uh, bargain lens, which if you look at their bargain description, it's basically like, yeah, it's not new. It's got some marks on it. Of course, the body is basically spotless, which is usually, it seems like the case with bargain stuff from KH. But um, the lens itself has a few uh, scratches, mainly on the the rear element uh, that are very light. And it has a little teeny, teeny, teeny bit of peripheral I call it smoky haze, which is that um, that kind of very thin, filmy haze that you cannot see unless you put a flashlight through a lens, mm-hmm. and it's it's only on the periphery. So to me, being that this lens is what seventy years old, I'm like, that's fine with me. I'm yeah, I'm fine. more than happy with that for a lens that I paid very little for, considering it had like original caps with it and everything. Um, to me, that is perfectly acceptable for a lens of this age as a user. I mean, I would not even bother to have it cleaned. It's that it's that good. That that's um, totally fine. That kind of haze. It's to- exactly. It's totally fine. As opposed to, and this is the story I was going to tell. Um, our good friend uh, Luca Brasi. Oh, he told me about this. Yeah. So he he got a really nice exterior clean. Uh, Canon Serenar 51.8 for like, you know, again, it's budget lens folks, right? So he got it for, I think a little over a hundred dollars. Um, 
And then Len's exterior is, you know, nice and clean, but interior, he put a flashlight up to it. And that thing has got that milky haze. So mm. the difference being between the smoky haze and the milky haze, the smoky haze is, you know, you're basically not going to see it held up to a, you know, room light. You'll see it with a flashlight, but you can see through it, right? I mean, you can see through the haze. It's not like it's opaque. So, but his is really opaque. So you hold a flashlight up to it and you can't even see the bulb from the flashlight. I mean, it looks like a frosted, you know, uh -huh. it looks like a frosted, you know, piece of glass. It looks like ground glass, right? Um, like frosted ground glass. So that's problematic because that ain't going to work. <laughs> You're, yeah. I mean, and again, you can't really see it to room light, but well, you can a little, but you hold it up under a flashlight and it just, it glows like a ground glass. So you can't see any. So that's definitely problematic. Um, and usually that's like dissipated, badly dissipated lubricants, but it can also be the glass itself has been sort of like haze etched and it's not always repairable. It's kind of a mm -hmm. crapshoot. So that's, you know, just kind of talking about flashlight test lens stuff. Haze, I think is a really interesting one because it can really be very, very different. It can be very different types of haze that either have no effect or have a huge effect. Um, it, it's one of those things that uh, for me is the biggest red flag though, because yeah. if a lens has, a, if it has light scratches, it's, you're not going to see it. If yeah. it has a little bit of fungus that can be cleaned off, you're right. not going to see it. You just discount the price. Right. But haze, if it can't be cleaned, uh, yeah. it, it can be very noticeable. Right. So, right. Yeah. You get that, especially with bright light sources in the frame where they just yeah. start to glow. They just and start I, to glow. And I know Simon's going to jump in because he, I know his head lenses like this. Well, I was, I've, I've slightly lost the thread because I've just found, I just found the comments um, because this this uh, lens you can actually see this in vintage camera collectors at the moment if you're a member of that group, and I'm I'm just looking at the moment and it looks appalling. I've got to say, <laughs> um, and not only is it is it so that yes, it does look like a piece of ground glass. It also looks like there's a scratch across it as well. Yeah, or or a line of bubbles, something really yeah. strange. Yeah, and, and the question goes, you know, is this haze, fogging, separation? And I, I responded to that of, as all of the above. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, just going down into the into the comments there, because uh, jo Johnny has made, made some comments on this, and, um, and <laughs> Lucas is trying to justify it in some ways, like saying, I know, but the, the body's in such good condition. Right <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like, who gives them? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and John, yeah, Johnny goes, who cares about the body condition? You know, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. and I'm, I, I, I just steer clear of Hayes, full stop. If, it, if Hayes is mentioned in a, in a description, I'll walk away. Um, even, you know, I, I, I'm indiscriminate on that because I, ju I just don't want it. Yeah, um, because I, yeah. You know, is it because you can't say like is it good haze? Is it bad haze? Yeah, you know, I don't know. You know, you, talk, you here you are talking about milky haze and smoky haze, but I don't really know what the what you're talking about there. I've got well, no idea, you, but I don't know for certain. You, you would if you saw it though, because the 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 milky haze really. I mean, it literally looks like the ground glass on on you know if you. It looks like the ground glass on your four by five when you're not using it as a ground glass to like see things through it. Like if you just look at the ground glass, it looks mm. opaque, right? Mm. That's basically what it looks like through the flashlight. It just looks like completely opaque. Like you can't see the bulb 
you know, behind the, the, the yeah, lens, yeah, yeah, all you yeah. see is the brightness. Cause it's just like, it's like, it's been sandblasted. Yeah. I, yeah. So that's really probably as opposed to like that, you know, that I'm talking about the smoky haze, which it'll just like literally look like uh, this thin, like if you, if, you know, uh, the window on your car, sort of how it gets that, uh, when it's dirty, it gets that you can see through it just fine, right? But it's got that that kind of like that thin film that's just annoying. Not even like the dirty part. You know how like the inside of your car window over time, you'll have to wipe it off because it just kind of gets that film on it. It's like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, I, I, what I think is like yeah, we we need to have some kind of uh, language on this, uh, like, like the Eskimos <laughs> do for snow. I mean, how many? <laughs> 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 we do milky haze and smoky haze yeah no, it's it's not no it's not, not good because i think I, when i think of milky haze i, I think of uh, i mean perry's going to be too young for this one but um there was a, a tv american tv series in the in the 70s called kung fu and um and the, <laughs> you, know, you know where i'm going with this yeah um, i do yeah and uh, so the it had david carradine in it and he was like a big it was like a disciple of this kung fu master and um and the the kung fu master had it, it, i don't know if they were cataracts but basically it was blind um but you, right, but, right. Had, yeah. but had these really milky eyes and uh, that's that's what i think about milky haze every time <laughs> that's that's really good so we can call it uh kung fu haze <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if it has kung fu haze that that's problematic yeah. uh yeah but I, th- I think it also depends on the 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 make of the lens as well, doesn't it? Because you've you've Leicas are especially older Leicas oh. are, are particularly susceptible to it. The yeah. amount of old old Leica lenses I'll pick up and think, oh look at that looks that looks nice, yeah. and, I, and, it, I go, it, and I just get disappointed. I would call that like a haze because I nothing seems to get hazy quite so yeah. bad as an old Leica LTM lens. So. Oh. It'll it'll be like smoky haze, but times like like that. You know how the, when the Cheech and Chong van they open the door on the side of the van and the the smoke rolls out. It's kind of, or I guess that's Fast Times at Ridgemont High. No, I I got that reference. Yeah, um, it's like that. Like it's so much smoky haze. Like okay, you can see through it, like but barely. And that's that shit has got to come out. I mean, mm-hmm. that will make your that is just turning your lens into a soft focus lens. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the Canon LTM lenses are also pretty susceptible to haze, but a lot of that is quite cleanable if you get there early enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But the Leica haze, especially on old lenses like the uh, the the Sumerit, and oh, yeah, yeah, it, it's it, when you look through, oh, it's it's bad. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and I mean, I don't know. To me, that's like more the norm than the exception for old like a ltm stuff it just yeah i I see so much of that stuff come through the shop and it like lenses that would otherwise be just so awesome and you just put a light through them you're like oh man (laughs) so i mean i famously i don't i think i told this story once a very long time ago but i actually made a um I made a trip up to not Milwaukee. I guess it was uh, Kenosha, which is just over the just over the the state line here between Illinois and Wisconsin. And and this guy had a um, an old Exacta, but he had a black Biotar on it. So I was like, you know, what the hell? I'll I'll drive up and take a look at it. And of course, you know, this guy he had all this stuff that had been in a basement, and so it was like in this rotted old camera bag, and 
you know, yeah, it was a really nice lens. Um, and the camera body was, of course, not working because the, the like the exacts usually aren't. Um, but so I, I, I got the, the lens from him. But then, of course, I, I got it. And about three weeks later, all of the black paint inside the lens around oh. the lens elements just fell off. So it's like, I hate that. I know. So I basically have this lens that is just full of paint flakes. And then you're standing there shaking it, right? Yeah. you can get it back to the edge it's like a maraca so um trying trying to spin it and use centrifugal force to get it out (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) um so he but the other thing that he had is he had a it was probably a uh like a like a three was i don't know if it was a three is it the f i don't think it was that model it was a mid it was an earlier model like a three um, like a 3C or something like that. But on that camera, he had uh, a Taylor Hobson Xenon, like Taylor Hobson lights oh, Xenon, which are- that is a rare lens. And in retrospect, I mean, I think he wanted, I could have probably walked out of there for all that for like 600. But I was like, you know what? I do not I don't even want to be, because bo- it was full of haze. And I was like, I do not even want to be bothered with how much I'm going to have to spend to get this thing cleaned out, which in retrospect also probably was doable, but I just didn't have the cash flow to do it. You know what I mean? Um, but it was a gorgeous lens, but it just typical fashion. I, I find with like, like a cameras very often, like they come into the shop, right? And it is, it's usually the, 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 offspring like the son slash daughter of the original owner and they're like 75 years old and the story always is yeah it was my dad's and and he got it in in europe after the war and he brought it back and so the long and short is it's been sitting in a leather camera bag Mm -hmm. in like a closet or a basement for like 30 years and that is like a recipe for lens haze disaster <laughs> like yeah. every single like i've ever seen that comes out of conditions like that they're always screwed up yeah so and that and to me that seems to be the a lot of like is that turnover in the u.s that have been you know tucked away for a long time that it's that's a very common story so you, you know you come across it it's been it was the it was the you know somebody had it stashed away and they didn't know what to do with it for 15 years so they just let it sit and it just kind of went to hell so, so this, this is something that I've. That's, I don't know if, I've, if if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but you've just talked about that lens. It's it's a rare lens. Uh, it, if it was if it was in good condition, it'd be worth you know, a lot more. Yeah. Um, but it's a case of that lens might not be capable of being cleaned up. Right. Yeah. Well, right, and yeah. I, and I, that's why I didn't want to take the chance yeah, on it. Ex- like, exactly. But the thing yeah. is, though, that lens that isn't put, let's just say it can't be cleaned up. And yeah. it would still go for six hundred plus dollars. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't yeah. know how much you'll go to. I mean, that was a while ago, I believe. When you when you when you saw that, it was a few years ago. Yeah, I, I, exactly. So let's let, we can make the assumption it'll probably go for more money. Right. And, and this is the thing about going on onto collecting now because you know, we're let's let's face it we 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 are collectors as as as, as much as we are users. And I see the point. That's damn lie. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, no. <laughs> and I guilty. I, yeah, guilty. I, yeah. And I, I see the point of uh, buying a lens 
um, that you you like and you and and you you might use. You might not use it as often as perhaps you you think you're going to use it, but you, you know it's it's there and it, it can be used and it's usable, and 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 it's a nice thing to own and all all of, all of those things. And therefore, it, it, you know, I can potentially justify owning you know a few lenses on 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 that basis. But what I couldn't do is buy a lens that I know that can't be fixed or is unlikely to be able to be fixed just for the sake of owning it. And I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to understand why somebody would still pay, you know, 600 plus dollars, for instance, for that type of lens, which is basically unusable. You know, the funny thing about that is if you were to open it up and try to clean it, even if you were semi-successful, it might actually drop in value. Yeah. Right, because a lot of the collector items, especially Leica stuff or some of the more exotic stuff, if it's in original condition, like so, for example, if you have an original black paint M2 or M3 that does not work at all, and the viewfinder is you know hazy and smoky and full of crap, mm-hmm. that's going to sell more than if you get it CLA'd. Yeah, yeah, uh, purely for that sort of historical. Uh, originality value that some collectors really, really want. I don't get it either, but it's one of those things, you know, that if you have an untouched collectible item, it's like, oh, should I restore it? Get someone to bring it back to usable or just let it sit there uh, where it's going to be worth more. And it's, it's, it's a dilemma. It's why you don't buy collector items to use though, I guess. Yeah. And, and that was my thinking on it. And I, I basically told the guy, I'm like, look, I told him who to show it to. And I said, don't take less than $1,200 for this, the lens and the camera. I said, just just don't because you, you can definitely get that. Now, if you sell it wholesale, you're going to get a little bit less. But if somebody's trying to buy it off of you who is not like a, a dealer, don't take less than $1,200. So I don't know whatever happened to it. But, I mean, it was a, it was a really nice – I mean, that lens, I think there are a few hundred of them made. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a couple in Hong Kong, yeah. Have you? Yeah. I mean, it, it's – you know, it's a really nice lens. It's just, I, I, that's just territory that I wasn't prepared to venture into. I mean, I really just wanted, I would have wanted it as a user, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway. Well, if, if anybody is listening that could answer that question, you know, and, it, and it's not a case of, you know, we, we just, we just wanted an answer there. I mean, we all do things because we want to do them, you know? So it's a case of if you, if you're, if you are the, the type of person that would collect, a lens for the sake of collecting the lens and, and, and the camera. It'd be great to hear that perspective as to why, why you do that. And because it's, as I say, it's, it's quite, it's almost alien to, to, to the three of us. So it, I think it'd just be helpful to understand that. Well, yeah. wait, hold on. So I have totally done this. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've totally bought things that are in not really usable or, or, borderline unusable condition for a significant steep discount just because I want to have it. Yeah. And I I, I will kind of cop to that as well. (laughs) (laughs) It's just you, Simon. You're the weird one here. (laughs) Uh, There are, there are things I've bought because I just kind of wanted to have them. Yeah. But I mean, they've always been cheap. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't drop like serious. I'm talking like, 50 bucks or something I've dropped on something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, 
Yeah, I don't know. I suppose, well, the, the principle there, then, if, if that's the case, if it's just because because it's there and I want it, the, the next part of that is because I can also afford it as well. Yeah, well, there you go, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Had, that, had that set that I saw up in Kenosha been, had I thought that I could have bought it for $200, I might have considered it. But yeah. I... I, I I wouldn't have felt right offering him that little on it. I mean, I, I got the, uh, the camera I went up to see, I got for under $200 and with that lens. So the exacta, um, actually I think I paid not more than a hundred for it probably. Uh, but I, I, but that was about as far as I, you know what I mean? I, I just didn't have that much money to throw at something that I knew for sure was a problem. And I don't, I don't, like to lowball people, you know what I mean? There's a and there's yeah. a difference between yeah. lowballing people and just outright taking advantage of them, and that's what it would have been. And I, it's that that to me is just kind of not cool, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, and you know, I think if you're buying something like a original black paint M2 or M3, then you're going to be the kind of person who can afford that sort of thing, right? And yeah. so the the desire to have that, I think, you know, a lot of people do appreciate historical artifacts for their historical value. That's why, you know, in the UK, when people dig up crap in your rivers, right? Like, like <laughs> government, your, your governments and museums buy them for thousands and thousands of pounds. Yeah. yeah. I can only think of supermarket trolleys at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, I know a place that's got a, a lot of nice bowling balls in the river that I could dig up over here in the Chicago River. It's great. <laughs> Uh, but but I think for everyone, there's going to be, you know, maybe a couple of items that for for whatever your own personal uh, weaknesses are in, in terms of photographic gear, that, yeah. like if it's so hard to find and you find one, you're just going to get it. Yeah, my, my I will I will admit to that my outright collector thing is those um, old auto Takamo lenses and in particular I think we've talked about this as well, but way, way back in the starting points of the podcast. Uh, it's the 55 1.8 auto Takamar, and it's the one that has the white dots between the aperture numbers, which mm-hmm. they made in, I think, only 1959. And again, there's in some, and there, and there are variations of that variation. And again, it's probably there are in the hundreds of them made. So to me, I see those and they're just like, they're such nice lenses and they go, and I mean, I've bought them for literally, I think I've, the cheapest one I bought was like under 20 bucks. Um, So, I mean, I've picked them up really, really cheap, but I see them and it's like, I just can't pass them by. (laughs) (laughs) They're just too cool, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. No, I was, well, I was, I was just going to say something about your, uh, right at the start of this where you were talking about the rangefinder and knocking it out of alignment and uh, and then the two of you were saying well that's a problem with rangefinders and things like that and I'm just casting my mind back to when we had Bob Rotoloni on the show and he was talking about the contacts rangefinder cameras and the fact that they won't 
go out of alignment because of the mm-hmm. uh, the construction of them. So you yeah. can yeah you can drop those on the floor and they'll still well I don't know if they'll still work as a as a camera, but the chances are the rangefinder uh, will yeah. still stay in alignment because it's a uh, some kind of solid way of doing that. I think it's got a they got a glass tube. It's that got goes a all glass across. tube. There's yeah. a glass tube. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I assume the same applies with the Kievs as well, but it doesn't. Apply. No. 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 Oh, no. Oh no. Oh no. The Kiev I think is a mirror. Yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, oh, it, it costs a lot for contacts to make those tubes. Yeah, yeah, and that's not the Russian ethos. No, well, I know <laughs> that. I know that uh, Nikon didn't do it anyway. They, they no, they didn't. They, they, they dropped it too. Because if you drop the contacts, it's not going to go out of alignment. It's just going to break. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you have to replace the whole thing. Yeah. 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 I heard now they put uh, paper tubes in them, or they they they. they you know, they have to use paper tubes now because of all the damn liberals. Paper straws, get it? Never mind. <laughs> oh, I, I hate paper straws with a burning passion. There's one there's one cafe and cafe chain in Hong Kong to do the whole uh environmentally friendly straw thing. They have they, they they started using these hard straws that are made of some kind of recyclable or biodegradable material. And I'll just go out of my way to get drinks from there because those straws will actually retain structural integrity as you're drinking your beverage. Whereas a paper straw in a beverage is stupid because after two minutes, you're <laughs> a wet piece of paper. So you see, he's right. He's finally right about something. Well, that he's right about the light bulbs too, because as he correctly noted, uh, I think yesterday, that um, he wasn't orange until Obama made everybody use energy efficient light bulbs. Oh, so he's, oh that's key. Yeah, so he's he's been right about two things. Yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> Yo, so speaking of rangefinder alignment, yes, sir. Uh, I, I I don't know, Johnny. Do you have anything else to add to your your updates? Because I, I I need to troll a certain Mister Forster. <laughs> oh, I'm staying quiet on that. <laughs> oh, are we going there? Uh, do, do you have anything else to add? If not, I'm going there. Uh, are we talking about the same thing, Perry? I think we are. Are we? Okay. Does it have anything to do with a um, a certain Russian rangefinder camera? No, we're talking about different things. Oh, hey, we are. Okay. Yeah, we I I I thought you were gonna. You thought you were nudging me to troll Eric about the um, the uh, what is it the Zorky Four, which is still sitting in a Tupperware tub full of <laughs> baking soda because it smells like a cigar. <laughs> I thought that's where we were going with. So I was going to troll Eric about his uh, him abusing his cameras with cigarettes. I don't know. I'm, t- I'm talking about Simon and. Uh... Oh, oh, okay. All right. Well, since we're on the subject, Eric, you shouldn't smoke, number one. You certainly shouldn't smoke around your cameras, number two, because that's like child abuse. (laughs) So so I'm hoping that that camera, I have it sitting in a Tupperware tub full of baking soda, is going to, it's going to smell fresh and new someday. (laughs) And it won't be. The ashtray camera from Belgium, which is what it is right now. So, Wait, do you have the camera actually sitting in baking soda? Well, so I have one of those baking sodas. So the baking soda people got smart about 
10 years ago and realized that they, you know, people were using it like you put the box of baking soda in the fridge, right? So it makes your fridge not, your butter not taste like garbage after a while. So they, what they did is they, they now make those boxes where they have like a little, um, uh, like a little mesh, you know, thing around the baking soda. So you tear the sides off the box and it's supposed to air out, right? It's supposed to accomplish the same thing without just like having a loose box of baking soda in your fridge. Um, brilliant marketing, right? So I have one of those in the Tupperware container with the sides torn off, but I'm thinking about literally just immersing the camera in baking soda, like just giving it like a baking soda you know, bath because I'm pretty sure I can just suck all that stuff off later and won't hurt anything on that camera. <laughs> Cause I mean, it is, it's a Zorky. It's going to be fun. It's got a little baking soda is not going to hurt that camera. Right. So then you're going to be asking yourself, Hey, is that haze or is that baking soda? <laughs> <laughs> I just got a mental image of you licking a Zorky now. That is just <laughs> appalling. <laughs> I, I also I also feel the need to uh, defend Eric uh, as well because uh, Eric did send me a care package full of expired film um, a, a while a while ago, yes. and it's it was minty fresh. So, yeah, well, so, in, so fair, in, in fairness, he included a few rolls of film with the 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 Zorky he sent me, and it was also minty fresh. So the film, I think what it is, is the film came out of the catacombs and he doesn't smoke. Exactly. Yeah. Presumably the film is in the freezer or the fridge. Well, no, it's in the, the, like, what does he say? The 14th century catacombs underneath his residence. So that's where he stores his film is, is literally underground in like these, you know, tunnels underneath his home. Um, So. That must be where the minty fresh film is kept. We're just, we love you, Eric. I'm just giving you a heart. He knows. Eric knows. <sighs> so, uh, Perry, you were segueing. I'm going to segue back to Perry, who is segueing over to Simon. All right. So, uh, to segue, to continue this segue. So, speaking of rangefinder focusing, uh, Simon, you have posted this photo in uh, many, many different places this week. Uh, portrait of James, which is a lovely portrait that yeah. shows... Uh, well, it's, I mean, it's a really lo- lovely portrait shot with your M2, yeah. but I'm just going to read a comment out uh, that you posted <laughs> on Instagram <laughs> under this picture. So, so, is that Geza Singer who commented? It, it was, yeah. It was Geza. Yeah. So Geza just says, excellent. And Simon Forster Photographic replies, thanks, Geza. I almost hate to say it, I think it would have been harder to nail the focus for this shot with an SLR. <laughs> it was not it was not a fluke either. I have another equally well focused shot. So I've screenshotted this uh <laughs> this comment for posterity because Simon, I recall you saying many, many times on many, many episodes that rangefinders are pointless. They're difficult to focus. You don't like them. They're no good. SLRs are way better for focusing on things that require precise focus. But you've shot this with uh, a 50 millimeter Sumalux spherical at f1.4 on yes. film <laughs> with no chimping screen to help you out. <laughs> fake, fake news. I didn't. I've, 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 my account was clearly hacked. 
Uh, well, okay. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Um, and it was a it was a situation. I was in a in a restaurant. In it's all part of the London trip that I did a few few weeks ago. Uh, when we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and uh, some of my street shots with some expired uh, film, which didn't do too well. Uh, let's put it that way. And I was on the second roll at this point using some uh, Eric Sluice um, supplied Oropan 100 um, expired in 1997 um, and uh, well the first thing is I think that film's great I mean compared to I don't know some, something bad must have happened to the Tri-X because I, all the shots I took were consistent uh, between the Tri-X and the, the Orwopan and the, the Tri-X shots are pretty tragic. They all looked overexposed, which I'm slightly confused at how that could even happen, but incredibly grainy and so on and so on. Um, whereas uh, the Orwopan shots came out really well. And actually, I also need to thank Cheyenne Morrison for giving me a, a heads up because we were, we were chatting about how best to... Uh, process this and there have been a few ideas about using one, one developer over another and information about this about Orwopan uh, film is actually quite hard to get hold of but Cheyenne, Cheyenne being Cheyenne he got hold of some information and one of the choices uh, one of the recommendations was Microfen, uh, Ilford Microfen, which is something that I like anyway so I gravitated towards that and I, I, I did it pretty much more or less in, in the way that it was uh, should have been done, uh, which was I think eight minutes at twenty degrees. I think I did about nine minutes, and it was uh, because it was the temperature of the water was a little bit little bit cooler, so I just extended it a little bit. Um, but yeah, I was really really pleased about how the how the the, the shots came out, and I've got a, I think one or two more rolls, so I'm looking forward to using those again. But back to this this shot in in particular, uh, I was just sit, sitting there in this very dingy um, in terms of light at least uh, restaurant um, and and all I can remember there was a light between us above us um, and I just I was just looking at him and I was thinking that yeah the, the way that the the light was falling on him looked really interesting now it doesn't doesn't particularly like posing for photographs. I mean, he's nearly 15, you know, so <laughs> smiling doesn't really come into it, does it? So I thought, well, okay, you're not going to smile. I'm not going to ask you to smile. I said, just, just, just look at me with the attitude, you know, which he therefore didn't have to do any work at all. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, he, he, he stayed, he stayed still for me. And, as I say, it was dark. I mean, I was I was using hundred hundred ISO film. They I, I metered it, and it, it told me that you know it was I had to go to one point four, and and it was just about okay on sixtieth of a second. And I, I really wouldn't want to go lower than sixtieth of a second handheld with a with a fifty mil lens. Yeah. Um, so uh, um, and certainly not with an SLR anyway. Um, but in this case, I had the the, the range finder, and. I was it was it was really easy to to pick out the exact point of focus now the actual shot itself you can actually see that is is quite centrally placed i don't know if i actually refocused or whether i just hit the actually took the shot um as as it was over with over the with the focus patch over his eye i can't can't quite remember um but it was it was actually very easy to actually you know put his eye 
right into focus. And there was only what you know, his face was at an angle to me. So I knew I was only going to get one eye in focus. And obviously the, the, the general uh, rule is get the one that's closest to you, which is actually in this case, it's certainly the one you'd want anyway. Um, and, I, and I did it and it was easy. And I, I do think that if I was using, you know, say, say my contacts camera with a, uh, my planar, I, I, don't, I just don't know if I actually would have actually nailed that focus as well. Um, it's certainly debatable. So, and, and you do hear this about rangefinder cameras and in particular uh, Leica M cameras about how bright the, the rangefinder is. And it, it certainly is. I mean, I've, I've tried and played around with quite a few other um, cameras and the rangefinder is just, it's in another league and it's in a, it's it's better than yeah. the, uh, um, I recently had a uh, Voigtlander R uh, Besser R um, pass pass through um, my eBay shop, and I tried it against that, and it was it was good. The Besser was good. There was no two ways about it in terms of uh, the, the 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 brightness of the patch, but it still wasn't as good as this uh, this this M two. Yeah, there's nothing quite like it. The uh, the base length of the Besser is also a little bit shorter. Yeah, so it's harder to get precise focus. Mm -hmm. uh, but other than the Leica M's, the only other camera—I mean, my my two other favorite cameras are the ones that have comparably wonderful rangefinders. And it's it's not just the brightness and the clarity, but it's also the fact that the Leica M rangefinder patches are perfect rectangles and really really clear. Yeah. Whereas sharp. the yeah, whereas the other uh, rangefinders that have either a circle or basically indistinct edges around the patch it's much harder to focus accurately yeah yeah no it, it was it was beautiful and uh to, to to use and of course the winder was lovely uh but we've we've spoken yeah. about the winder on that camera before um and actually we might might come on to the where uh, that might have been part of the motivation for a, for a shot at it later in that day um but uh the, the other part of that was just how well the lens performed um because I've never used the well. I've, I've tried that lens on on my Sony, and it, it left me cold. Uh, not necessarily because of you know uh, any kind of characteristics in the lens, uh, because it, it actually performed very 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 well. But it was more about the handling, and I felt that. And obviously, I've probably talked about this kind of thing before. Uh, but the 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 lens is designed to be used on a rangefinder camera. It's not designed to be focused in the in the in the in the same way as an SLR lens would be focused. You, you you're encouraged to use a, a focus tab on it, which for me just doesn't make any sense on a on a uh, when it's adapted on a on onto my Sony. Yeah. Uh, but it, it did make more sense uh, using it in, in those circumstances. I can't remember if I actually used the tab or not uh, for that particular photo. But the the, the images that have come out, they're, you know, they're all really nice images. Now, the majority of the, the shots that I took were probably at f8. And so it's arguable that I, I couldn't really discern anything specifically special about about those shots. But certainly... That particular shot, um, the the definition that I that I managed to achieve on grainy film to the point where you could easily pick out the eyelashes on around James's eye uh -huh. um, was was incredible uh, for mm -hmm. for a, a wide open at one point four lens. I was knocked out by that. Yeah, that that lens, uh, the Sumolux spherical. I mean, it's I, it's it's my lens, um, and normally I don't like the. A spherical like a uh, uh, focusing 
tab because they're a little bit stiff compared to some of the the vintage ones, or I find them a little bit jerky. But the nice thing about the 50 is spherical is it has the focus ring as well, uh, as well as the tab. So I find the best way to use it is to have your finger on the tab, but also your thumb on the ring. Mm-hmm. And that way you can kind of have a, a, a double action control and it's super smooth and super nice. Yeah. The- the other the other thing that we can we can put to bed as well is the because I've we we did have this question mark over whether a spherical lenses uh, produce bad bokeh. Ah, uh, uh, spherical ufta. Yes, sorry, yes, spherical yeah. ufta. Yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, the, as as much as I you know I wasn't I wasn't blown away by the lens on on the Sony. I could also see though that what was going on in the outer focus areas was beautifully smooth. Uh, oh, it's uh, wild. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, I mean this this lens. There's I, I've never seen anything like it in in my collection as well. It's just you know the point of focus is so damn sharp, um, but it, it's weird because it's not. It like does everything that an ultra modern lens does really well without looking ultra modern. Yeah, yeah, that, I'd I'd go along with that definitely. It, do, it does have its own look. There's no no two ways about it. Yeah, it's. I mean, the 3D pop is wild, which. I normally complain, you know, I, I normally complain about Leica spherical lenses looking flat and harsh. This one is the exception. It, it just, it's beautiful. Mm. Oh. <laughs> Wish it didn't cost so damn much, but it's <laughs> that's it. Well, yeah, it's, it's got a good home now. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're enjoying that. Yeah, I, I've been using it a lot. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, it's also worth, I've, I've touched upon it. Um, and uh, yes, that that uh, trip of Je- photo of James was taken on the trip to London, where I went out specifically to try and do some street photography. And I've now mm. posted. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm just yeah. I'm I'm nodding in agreement. Yeah, go okay. on. Okay, <laughs> that's the sound of a nod, is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So um, I've uh, I've now posted a few more photographs from that trip, and uh, and I've just there was a there was a comment about one of them i'm just trying to work out where it is now um uh, and that's it yeah matthew ashbrook um ashbrook um commented and he said uh i think that the standard of the photos appears to be better than the 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 first first batch of photos yeah they look good yeah but in terms of composition as well uh but uh matthew uh it's said something on the lines of um appears i'm i'm getting more comfortable with uh, with with street shooting, which I thought was an in- interesting comment, um, because this was all part of the same trip, and I didn't come away later in the trip feeling better about doing street photography as I was with the earlier roll of film, and then I, I looked at the the shots that I had taken, and there was a difference uh, between the first group of shots and this this new batch, if you like, whereas the, the first group of shots were people uh, just trying to do grabs and whatever and just feeling very self-conscious and feeling wrong uh, while I was doing them. Yet the, the, the second batch, they were all of events, really. There was, a, I think there was a couple there with buskers. Um, there was a street artist. And then the, the final one 
was it was actually more about a reflection that I saw of the uh, the, the the post office tower in in, a, in an office building, and I wanted to have a go doing one of those shots where you've 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 got your scene and you want to wait for something interesting to happen walking into your scene, uh, which is a you know a more comfortable way of doing street photography in many respects. And uh, only I only had one go at that because my, my roll of film had run out. Um, but it was a case of I was just far more I was far more comfortable. With those shots because actually yeah there was a wedding shot there as well I'm not entirely sure if it was a bride and a bridesmaid or whether it was two brides i couldn't quite work out what i was looking at but the the, the point was though they were there with the with their photographer and i was thinking well if they've been guided i'm gonna i'm gonna take advantage of this and uh, <laughs> and, uh and and get the shot i mean there was plenty of other people doing the same because it was quite an interesting scene at covent garden um so so yeah so the, the difference being for me was i didn't feel like i was intruding upon anybody or if, oh, i didn't feel like i i needed any kind of permission and that relaxed me and yeah. ultimately that enabled me to pick my moments better and just just enjoy the moment a bit more but but it, simon it, it sounds like you're making a distinction between uh your street photography getting better and this kind of street photography where you're photographing people who either don't care or are doing something else. But that distinction, I mean, that distinction doesn't really make sense to me because if you're, if you're shooting random people walking around on the street and you have the mindset of I'm kind of sniping people in a, in a sneaky kind of way, you will feel self-conscious and you will look kind of weird, right? But people who are doing interesting things on the street, I think are the best subjects anyway, as opposed to just people who are walking around on their phones and then you surprise them uh, by getting in their face with a camera. So I, I think this is as much a case of, of you know, I, I see it as you getting more comfortable and better at street photography by identifying subjects who are doing interesting things that are, you know, more worthy of being photographed in the first place as opposed to, you know, standing in front of, uh, I don't know, a subway exit or something and waiting for people to come out and trying to catch their expression, which might might be an interesting photograph, but that self-consciousness will come from the sense that, I don't know, I, I get it a lot too. It's almost a sense of uncertainty where it's just a feeling that I want to shoot something, so I'm going to wait until some random person shows up and then just, you know, whatever, however they happen to look at the time, that's the photograph that you're going to get, as opposed to, Hey, look at this interesting thing happening. How can I compose and frame and get the right timing in the moment so that I capture sort of the emotion of what I'm seeing in front of me? I I, I, I do get what you're saying there. There's there's an element of that, but it's yeah. Some of so I mean, and that's the thing. You know, street photography. There's no, it's not just one type of photography, is it? There are, there are, yeah. There are, there are subgenres within within it. And I, I, I must admit, when I think about street photography, I think about things that are truly candid, and that's that's what it goes in my mind as being great street photography. Or at least that's the kind of street photography that I really most relate to when people are actually capturing some particular moment in in a, in a candid fashion. And those those photos that you know they 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 they're decent photos and so on that that I've done they they're not candid in 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 that sense because as i say those all of those people had put themselves on view in some way in some capacity right whereas you get as i say if you're going to capture this moment of 
you know, whatever it is, uh, this expression of somebody shouting at somebody or, or laughing or whatever it is, that then to me is it's it's that level of intrusion, if you like, which make, which makes me feel uncomfortable. And you know, that's just me. And plenty of I'm not saying that if you if people take those photographs. Um, that I've just described as intrusive. That doesn't mean it's it's uh, it's wrong. It's what's it's what's right for you, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I see what you mean. I I, I think I see especially what you mean when it comes to uh, the two women at the wedding or the street performers who are obviously there to be seen. But the photograph of the little girls high fiving the 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 dude. I, well, I don't even know yeah. what that guy's doing. <laughs> yeah. The the guy who spray painted himself gold. Right. Yeah. That, that to me kind of blurs the lines in between because obviously that guy is sitting there and he wants to be seen because he's a street performer. But you've caught like this perfect moment where the girl is high-fiving him and she's got this expression of joy on her face while her parents stand behind looking quizzically. And, you know, that works really well, I think. Yeah, well, yeah, but it, it's, it does stand the... It does stand the argument I'm making there because the, the, the family of the child have put them in front of this street performer uh-huh so they are they are doing something that's very visible to everybody rather than just standing back in the crowd if they were high-fiving each other you know they're, they're, they're friends or something like that it would be i wouldn't i wouldn't feel comfortable about taking that photograph I, I yeah okay i see what you mean so you're you're talking about the way that just your subject in your photo is already putting themselves in a position where exactly. they expect to be photographed or, or just, they just make, they're just making themselves particularly public. That's, that's probably what I'm saying. Uh-huh. I, I think in that case, you know, there are, ty- there are types of photos. I don't know. I'm just reminded of um, a couple of shots that I've shot before in particular of just people doing stuff. They're, they're definitely not street performers. There's a photograph in particular where I've got a shot of a guy playing with two cats from, from a few months ago. And this was one of the those moments where, like, that self-consciousness that you're describing, uh, which I often get as well, just disappeared from me. And I just crouched down next to him, watched him play with the cats. And I was literally about a meter away from him, and I just started shooting. And he looked at me quizzically for a second and then continued playing with the cats and, and stopped caring. And I have found more often than not that either people don't care or... Yeah. Um, it, it's it's okay. I mean, you do get people get mad occasionally, and and then you just you know say sorry and walk away. But uh, I I think when you get out of that that zone of fear, then cool things happen if 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 you can sort of overcome that threshold. Yeah, yeah, de- definitely. And I could have if I'd been able to spend longer down there down in london doing this you know in the kind of environments that i was walking through um, I'm, I'm sure i would have i would have got more and i would have been more comfortable um, as mm. the uh, as the day went on but but that's uh, so that was that was earlier on in the day um i then took that photograph in the late afternoon of, of james that we've talked about um yeah. and then we can i think we should move on to the the, the final <laughs> Is it a photograph? Is it a set of photographs? Um, but it, it lead, leading on from when we had um, Edward Noble on the oh, show. Oh, your, your bokeh panel. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was, yeah, I'd realized we were getting closer to the, to the end of our day. And I, I also realized that I had about 20 odd photos still in my camera and wary of the fact that I hadn't actually truly enjoyed myself. 
uh, using the camera. I, th I enjoyed it a little bit more than last time I used the Leica, but of course the last time I used it, it <laughs> roll of film stayed in there for a year. And I was thinking, I don't, I, I don't want that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I've got to take photos. I mean, I, I went down there with about six rolls of film. <laughs> so I've got to at least fill two of them, you know. So, um, so we just went walking around and I was thinking, well, we, we, we we're going to go via Euston station to head back up to Stoke, but not far from Euston station, you've got Regent's park and I've not, I've, it's a park I've heard about, but I've never been before. And I thought, well, let's, let's take a walk there. So I probably had about five minutes to to at least just check it out at least before heading heading to the station. And as we were walking towards it, I could look through uh, one of the gates. There was a, a E-type Jag, E-type Jaguar car, um, just just inside the park. And I was thinking, oh, this could be interesting. And uh, <laughs> and then I got got close to it. And I was, I was going to say I was I was then met with disappointment because the car wasn't any type jag it was a model of any type jag um, <laughs> just just made of plastic i mean let's say really really yeah oh, no way <laughs> exactly and uh so so but the i mean as, as much as i was disappointed it was it was just a model it was a really good model as as you know quite a few people have not realized that it's not a real car from the photographs that i've taken so uh so they did a good job one of the yeah and there've been a few people uh, comment about the distressed paint uh, distressed state of the paintwork of peeling paint off the the front of it and off the side of it and so on so people were feeling quite sorry for this car um but i thought to myself okay i'm going to take a a brenner's or a boca panorama and i'm 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 going to i'm going to do this and i'm going to do it on film yeah, uh, because you, I mean, I'm sure yeah. people have have done this, but um, I was thinking I want to do it now, and it was it all came out of our discussion when we had Ed on the show. So I thought that's it, I'm going to do this, and I I bottled out at taking it at f1.4. Um, I I took the shots all at f2, um, largely because I I didn't really know just how how sharp it would actually come out, especially on a film that I had no idea about how well it was going to develop either. So I took it, took it to F2 just to ensure a level of sharpness and a reasonable bit of depth of field at the, the point of focus, which is the, uh, I think probably the, the headlight uh, that was closest to me. And then I think I took some about twenty photos. Um, so as I was going through, I, I looked at looked at my camera. And I was thinking, oh, I've still got about six more. And thought, okay, I'll just take some more pictures. <laughs> you know? So, uh, so, so, so I did that and didn't really think any more of it um, after that. So, um, developed it uh, earlier on this week in in uh, stock microfen, and and, I, and yeah, really pleased about how it how it all came out, and. I thought, okay, well, let's 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 process this, and oh my word, that was that that was not as easy as I, I thought it would be. Uh, one because I took far more shots than I would normally do for for one of these uh, Boca panoramas. So I've done I've done these before. I don't make a habit of it of doing it, but I've I have done them in the past, and I've certainly done stitched panoramas, which is the, exactly the same principle, except you've you've got uh, instead of just going from left to right or right to left. You, you go from the top left to right, then you move the camera down left to right and go across and then you, and then again. So you can have two rows, three rows of, of photos, however, however many you want. And uh, But I've, I felt I, I struggled a little bit when I actually took the pictures to actually work out where my framing was. So I, that's probably the reason why I probably took too many photographs. And, and there are probably some areas where I, I, I 
I skipped where I should have done at the top left and top right and stuff like that. But um, so anyway, so they got the film, got the got the uh, the negative digitized, and then got to convert them and then send them into Photoshop, and and that that's where things started to go wrong. Was uh, these these images were just there was just so much of them, and uh, my computer's quite quick, but it just it could hardly cope um, with, with things. Just like flipping the canvas from one side to the other took an eternity. So in the end, I think I actually left it overnight and just went to bed while it was just trying to work, work the thing out. Um, and then when I came up in the morning, um, I'd realised I'd, I'd messed up one of the images. Um, the car was pointing in the opposite direction, and, uh, and, and it was and it's it oh, no. just yeah, it was just this 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 um, this picture of the car bonnet was just slapped right bang in the middle of the uh, the panorama, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> facing the wrong way. It just looked stupid so i realized i had to do it again which i did and i managed to get the the file size a little bit smaller and i was a bit smarter in the way that i, I did it all um but when i was the, the the actual how this works in stages in photoshop you you align the images uh first and then i think you align and then you do something else i can't quite remember but it's, it's quite an easy process it's it's not a difficult thing to do um, but before um photoshop does its um wizardry and puts all the photos together you get a screen where it actually shows you which which um part of the well you've got the the main image and it will show you which photographs have been used to in certain parts of the image to create the uh, the, the single image at the end uh, because it's doing all this in layers and i don't really understand layers because it, but this is an fortunately this is an, a semi-automated process that i don't have to really think that hard and um and but it, it gives you like a mosaic of photos and and the photos are stretched they're distorted but they're all hanging you know, they all hang together and overlap each other and i looked at that and i thought that looks really good and uh, and i then i left it to that I then went back to the main i then let it do its work on the main photograph and i thought mm, that's yeah that's okay and i was thinking is that really worth the effort um <laughs> But if, if which it probably was, but I then edited, I then went back, to, took the step back, and just looked at it again and uh, exported that, and, and I've shared, I've actually shared both versions now, um, but I've I, I shared um, the, this mosaic um, shot, and I, I I just think it it just looks it looks really interesting as it is, as if like you just lined up photographs, but not quite in the same way because as I say, all these are distorted images. Yeah, it looks really neat. It reminds me of um, when people take multiple Instax photos yes. of a, a wider scene and they just kind of tape them onto a canvas in a collage. But, you know, A, the final image came out really well. Uh, but B, this might sound kind of weird, right? But I've been staring at both of them while you've been talking. The oofta on the mosaic picture <laughs> looks... <laughs> a lot nicer than the oofta on the final image and i can't quite put my finger on on what it is like the car looks cool in both yeah but but like the bokeh looks way cooler or it looks more i don't know it looks smoother it it, it stands out more in the actual mosaic so the way that photoshop has kind of stitched everything together to me yeah. has it's the uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. I, I know what you're saying, Perry. I think you know what I think it is. I think it's the blending al algorithm that we're, we're in the um, 
in that tool in Photoshop, I think that when you when it when it blends everything, I think it, it there's a lot of weirdness that happens when that blend uh-huh. function, right? I mean, I think I think that's what it is. Yeah, because the Summerlux, when you have uh, out of focus elements that far back, it's not it's not circles all the way through. As you get closer to the edge of the of the frame, it does cat's eye a bit, and so in the individual panels on the mosaic you can sort of see that slight cat's eye almost i wouldn't call it a swirl but that slight curvature uh, on the very very edge of each frame but then the combined image has sort of like pressed those out like 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 a cat jumping on bubble wrap yeah yeah i do I was, I was just going to say there was there was another thing that came out of uh, one well, no, it was in, in two places i was um in two separate places that a, a question was raised about uh, whether the uh, images, uh, whether the shutter was working correctly on the camera, um, mm. as a result of seeing this this mosaic uh, image, uh, because each one is slightly darker on the right hand side of the frame uh, than than it than it is on the left, and um, and uh, I'd answered a, a, f- a few times in this one, and then Hamish decided to uh, Hamish Gill, uh, hi Hamish. Um, <laughs> He just he decided to chip into this and uh, and open open this up. This is now becoming a wound <laughs> with me because I was thinking there's nothing wrong with the shutter. Why why would there be something wrong with the shutter in in this image that just wasn't there with any of the other photographs on the day or with the previous roll of film? And uh, and uh, it was a, simply a case of it's just the way that Photoshop arranges the photographs. They they want to they. they there's a way of actually just making it so you can see which yeah. uh, frame is, is going over the other. So so you get the overlap, and where the overlap is, it's 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 shown as being a little bit darker. So if you've got a horizontal traveling shutter, you would, get, and the, it's not quite working correctly. You might end up with it being dark on one side or the other, and uh, and the, and this is sort of the similar kind of effect that's that's going going on here um but it's a it's a case of i i then felt the need to go back and actually just dig out some of the few other photos and uh and just answering with but you say yeah that's it just posed the question are you sure and uh, so i just posted about four photos um saying yes 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 <laughs> with um, with these 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 four photos and then um, I then went into a, a, another photo I took in Madeira earlier on this year, which is just a panorama, a stitch panorama. Um, and that was taken on my Sony. And it was a case of, yes, you, you, each, each individual um, shot that was being used, it, it did exactly the same thing again. Um, so it was slightly lighter on the left-hand side than it was on the dark. So, so the, the, the Sony wasn't capping, and, uh, and the, in this case, the, the Leica wasn't doing that either. Mm. Um, so yeah. the uh, the film you shot this with was oh right so you were saying that this whole thing was you had about twenty twenty two twenty three shots left in your M two yeah um, of this expired oral pan right correct the the grainy stuff you had last time was triax right because I'm just re- looking at the pictures and these look so much smoother than the uh, when we discussed your scanning and developing methodology a couple of episodes ago yeah. these look way nicer. Yeah, and and there's there's very there is a difference between them um, in in the way that I did them, um, but certainly in terms of the, the the general smoothness, that was purely down to the the, the, the film, um, and I think that that Triax, uh, I mean I've got two more rolls of it, 
and I'm thinking, you know, am I going to shoot it or am I just going to develop it differently? And I haven't quite made my mind up because the, the way I developed this oil pan is quite different from the way I did the Tri-X. Gotcha. So, so I may, I may do something else on that one, but, um, but the oil pan, oil pan worked out uh, really well. But in terms of the, um, the method of digitizing, there the, the were differences um, that I employed with this. I'd, I'd used a enlarger lens uh, this time. Uh, for these these shots instead of using um, either a Canon FD 51.8 or a, or a Vivitar macro lens uh, because I found that um, I'm not sure if we talked about this last week or we were going to but um, I certainly found that the both of those lenses when I use them on my bellows because that's how I, I digitized 35mm with the bellows and a slide attachment uh, with a with whichever lens and both the uh, Vivitar and the Canon uh, we're, in, we're given a quite a, a serious pinhole, uh, not pinhole, um, pincushion effect, um, and there was a little bit with the uh, with the larger lens, but it was it was less dramatic. So I think it was I was getting less distortion uh, using using this method. Plus, also I, I um, reorientated my light source by ninety degrees, um, so it was um, rectangular in the same shape as the as the shot. As the uh, is 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 the negative, so they they were the differences really. So Simon, speaking of uh, not not leaving film in your camera for an entire year, uh, <laughs> you <laughs> you got the portrait that I sent to you that you're supposed to shoot, right? I did, and thank you very much. So <laughs> you're going to shoot it, right? <laughs> I, I, I am, and. Uh, I I th I think uh, let's 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 put some excitement into this podcast now, um, because actually I posted a picture up in uh, a few of the Facebook groups earlier um, of the said uh, well one of the two rolls uh, the thirty five mil roll of um, Portrait four hundred mm -hmm. with my uh, camera of choice and uh, possibly one of the lenses I'm going to use with it and that's the so it's the my contacts AX which I've just had back with us uh, from, um, from the repairman because the, the mirror had slipped on this just in the same way as the one on my RX. So it was hitting the, the back of the lenses, um, of uh, contacts lenses at least anyway. So now it works. So that's all good news. So I just slipped on there um, a couple of adapters to enable my uh, Takamar 58 2.4 Heliar lens, uh, which I'm looking forward to using on this camera. And although that, that when I've used this when I've used that lens, sometimes it's a bit difficult to focus, which is another reason why I want to use it with the AX because it's got that AF assist if I need it. Especially seeing I'm I'm being ordered to take pictures of people, so yes. um, so it does make sense, really, doesn't it, to uh, to have a little bit of help if I'm going to struggle with that. I but, think I think that's a good lens choice, apart from the fact that it's a silver lens on a black body. <laughs> um, <laughs> But are, are are you are you like committed to using comically small lenses on this camera? <laughs> no, not, not at all. It's a, it's a, it's easily this well almost the smallest lens because I mean there was that um, that forty five mil uh, Tessar which is yeah. tiny, um, uh, but at least that belongs on this system. You know, it, it is a it is a CY lens. But yeah, this is a, I know. It, as as far as 
you know, normal lens is concerned, this is one of the smallest ones that there is there. But it's lovely. It's lovely. Oh, um, it's a great lens. It just it looks almost like a C-mount lens on a mirrorless camera yes. with the relative size of body to lens. Yeah, yeah. It also focuses in the wrong direction, which is another reason why I want to use it on the AX because uh, mm, I, I struggle with that, and I might mention something about that shortly. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so uh, to put some drama into the podcast, I'm now going to load this roll of uh, fresh unexpired portrait into into my ex <laughs> just to prove that uh, I'm, I'm making a start on this so here we go that's it i've just popped it open all right okay so where's the button to open it up let's push it in and slide down that's opened across and okay that's are you getting all the sounds here Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's good. This is way better than describing photographs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'll just, I'll just wound it. Well, not wound it. I'll just pull the leader over to the... There's like a little red dot. This is a motorized camera. This is so uh, makes life easier. And so I'm just going to shut it, and we should hear it wind on. Let's, here we go. That's it. Did you hear that? No. Yeah. yeah. That Wait, was did so you? quiet. That oh. was it. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> wow, <laughs> that was that was suspenseful. I I think I think maybe um, there's a new podcast in our future, and it's just, we just make camera yeah, sounds. Yeah, we just basically make cameras make noise on the pod. That's that's <laughs> it. That's a whole podcast for somebody out there. This needs to be your podcast. You just just loading film and cameras and just listening yeah. to the noise. No, that should be what our YouTube channel is for. Take Graham's suggestion. <laughs> and oh, make, uh, it's like our, our backing ASMR. paper. Is be, yeah, yeah. Yeah. ASMR yeah. camera sounds. Oh, I'm so down with that. Oh, I'm, I'm not 100% sure that's worked. <laughs> I was still... going to say, it yeah. was... Is it was there a battery? Maybe not in this auto loading. Well, well no, no, it, it made a noise, but I'm not. But things when you close the back on this camera, it it, it shuffles the autofocus thing because it, the whole camera's got this internal thing that moves backwards and forwards to to autofocus a, a manual lens, and I think that's what we heard. Which you know, it's very quiet uh, how he does it, but it's. I'm sure they should say that it's gone to. It's gone to one, but it's just... I didn't hear anything. Oh, I'm going to have to open this up, aren't I? It didn't okay. sound like anything happened. Okay. The whole time he was doing that, I was thinking, how many different ways can he f*** this up? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, okay, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open this up again now. Oh, this feels like it, it feels so wrong to do this, but I'm going to have to, aren't I, really? I mean, I could have right. just pressed a shutter button and just see if Yeah, it goes. see what happens. If it doesn't yeah, advance, then you'll know. Well, this is the problem with electronic cameras. You don't have a little mechanical... Yeah. yeah. I mean, either way, I'm going to mess a shot up if it if it's, has worked. Oh, I'm going to... I'll, I'll open it up. Mm. No, it won't. I'll take the shot because it's, it, it makes take, it nice. Take thing. a shot if it doesn't work. You can yeah. always back roll it a e frame. E exactly. Okay, here we go. Let's see. One more. Wait, 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 yeah. wait! Before you press the shutter, yeah. does the camera advance the uh, film counter even if there's no film in it? Because if it does, I, I, then no, I doubt that very much. It can't be that stupid. No, hey, I have cameras that do that. Yeah, yeah this is a Contax AX. Yeah, this I was going to say, yeah, yeah. like Contax T does that. Really? Yeah, I mean it's it's not an electronic uh, advance, but 
if there's no film in it, it'll the, the film counter still goes oh, up. Yeah, mm. sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, now you maybe doubt it though. <laughs> See what happens. Push the button. I didn't do it. Okay, okay, okay. What's the worst could happen though? Right. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, it's done it. That sounded better. That was weird. I just tu- I just touched the, the the shutter button like it would do if you were you know getting your uh, exposure or autofocus or whatever, and it just it just wound it on. Oh, there you go. I don't know if you heard that. I, yeah, I heard, I heard that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Was... Well, there you go. It's ready. I mean, the the wind on this is really quiet anyway. And uh, the, the shutter's pretty quiet as well. But uh, well, there we go. So that's in and it's ready. And I've got to try and get out there and actually take pictures of people now, haven't I? Yeah. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, cool. When it when it comes to Portra 400, I personally like to overexpose it by about a stop when I'm shooting people because I find it makes skin tones look really good. Yeah. I mean, this this the thing about Portra. From what I've heard, it's it's almost indestructible. This film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you can underexpose it, you can overexpose it, it's all good. So so just just recap again. You you set it to what speed? Uh I just I just uh overexpose it by one stop. So you're so, shooting it at two hundred? Yes, theoretically. Well, I usually dial in a stop of exposure comp uh and shoot it at four hundred. Um but it's the same it's the same effect. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I'm I'm just, just thinking because I'm it, 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 you're going to have an effect on the on the depth, sorry, on the um, the aperture that you're going to be using. And if I wanted to yes. use a, a wider aperture and the light's quite good, then I'm going to be stopping down more oh. than I want to. I mean, go I, ahead and shoot it at 400. It it looks great as well. I'm just yeah. I, that's just my personal preference for how I like to shoot the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, that's that's a, that's another point, Johnny. Perhaps you might be able to. Uh, chip in on this one i've heard people talking about um how they actually shoot film c41 film and in some cases they still develop it as normal mm-hmm. instead of pushing the film or pulling the film on the at the, at the, yeah. at the point of development yeah. um yeah, what's, it's, only, what's, it's only a stop yeah yeah i always do that you know and, and some films have different sensitivities so cine still if you're shooting it in the daytime um it's best to rate it at 500 uh, or the, yeah, I, so when I shoot and overexpose deliberately, I always develop normally, and I don't push and pull it. So you you got the benefit there, if I'm understanding this correctly, of of potentially under or overexposing, and the 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 processing and the film will just deal with that in both cases. Yeah, pretty much. Sounds yeah. good to me. It's almost like having digital into that, uh, except it looks way better. <laughs> <laughs> okay well um looking forward to doing that and as there's something else that uh i want to talk about actually i've I've still got other things to talk about i've got so much this week um and that is i have in front of me a voigtlander 40 millimeter f2 ultron um which i've i've got to say uh, is far nicer and more interesting than I thought. By the way, this is a Nikon F mount lens, uh, which yes. which which hurt my head a little bit. Um, I was thinking, really? <laughs> I didn't even know it existed, and it's got this really unusual uh, hood arrangement in there as well. As in, like it it it, it sort of looks like um, a screw in cap for it, mm-hmm. except it's got a cutaway 
Um, so we, and it's a hood, and now normally the hoods sort of splay out, whereas this actually moves in from the edges, which is uh, quite an unusual setup. And not only that, because um, so I've got the box for this as well, and it has a close-up attachment as well, which you screw into the hood. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you know, it's a, it's never never seen it anything quite like that before, um, and the, the the I'm not too sure exactly what the minimum focus goes down to with that uh, close up attachment, but I mean I'm just looking at it now and it's got a minimum focus of um, thirty eight centimeters, um, which is okay, um, but you definitely can get closer by just screwing in this. Um, this close-up adapter so yeah. it's only this only arrived today and i thought well, okay well let's 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 give it a go before the podcast happens and I, I put it onto my sony and went out in the garden looking for flowers and um i, I think i i think i just did i did it normally uh, without the attachment and then i put the attachment on to try and get closer and i was and i was doing it i was thinking this isn't any different I'm not actually getting any any difference in the in the minimum focus, you know, and and I just couldn't quite understand what was what what was happening because the it was it was like the infinity was um, out of focus, but I wasn't getting any closer when I was trying to get close, and then I realised that the focus ring turns in the same way as as a Nikon and a Pentax, <laughs> in other words, the wrong way. And so I was I was trying to get close to these flowers with this close up lens and I was I was shooting at infinity, which is more or less the same as doing it with minimum focus without the close up lens. So yeah. so um pretty 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 tragic really. Um, <laughs> that but, is a nice pancake lens. It, it is. It is. Yeah. Although I've got to say, when you actually put it onto the onto a Sony with the with the with one of the longest adapters oh, yeah. um, you can you can have it, it's it's no longer a pancake lens, uh, which is which is a shame. But uh, I've got a. I've, I'm ch- actually at the moment I'm charging the batteries up on my D five hundred, so that's going to make it uh, effectively a sixty mil lens. Um, but. I mean, I've, I've obviously I haven't been able to take any pictures with it, but I've, I've looked through the viewfinder when it's attached to it, and it it, it looks really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a it's it's certainly a sweet lens, and it's another asephorical, and the bokeh is good on this one as well. It's one of those that flies under the radar because I think not many people look for it, but the people who want it really, really want it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh, the focus ring feels so good on that lens. When it comes to uh, SLR pancake lenses, yeah, that that's that's a nice one. Yeah, no, it's 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 lovely. There's no no two ways about it. It's a really really sweet lens. It's just a shame the focus ring goes the wrong way. Yeah, that's uh, Nikon's fault, not Voigtlander's fault. Yeah, well, they, well <laughs> Voigtlander could could ignore them. Yeah, but there you go. Um, um, I've, I've still got quite a few things to cover, which I I think I'm going to park one of them for the large format photography podcast, which I'm recording on Wednesday with Andrew Bartram. Um, and that's what I've been up to. And the people in the, in the Facebook group would, would have seen some um, shots I've taken with a, a, a really, let's call it daft looking setup uh, with, with my Sony that's been attached via a Hasselblad attachment, which is then attached to a large format Sinar monorail camera and then pointed that at a at a tiny flower or a tiny set of flowers on a very bedraggled plant, um, which was um, 
there was there was some logic behind it but i think well i'm going to park that one and uh, i'll talk about that in the large format uh, podcast so uh, anybody wants to listen to that story head head over to that because i'll be recording that on wednesday and that will go out on uh friday this week so instead of talking about that one um i just want to talk about because at the top of the show we talked about mist and taking pictures in the fog and Wait, stuff like that. Simon, before you move on to that, just one really quick question. Uh, have you ever used your Hasselblad normally? <laughs> <laughs> Define normal, Perry. <laughs> Without using it as an extension tube for a Sony or attached to like three, three other things. <laughs> oh, well. But I'm not going to answer that question because I'll I'll, I'll move on to the, the because I used my ha- I used my Hasselblad yesterday. Um, I I took it with me. Uh, so I went with uh, my friends uh, Jason and Andrew, um, who are committed digital shooters. One, one slightly more committed than the other, but the chances are they won't be listening to this podcast. So I'm not going to say much more of a hello because you won't be listening. Um, but uh, we went to uh, North Wales, and it was a pretty miserable day. And the it it was raining for most of the way there, but we we knew it was going to be okay. Uh, we knew we weren't going to get uh, wonderful blue skies or anything like that, but we didn't want them uh, because we wanted to go and get some seascape shots with uh, you know, long exposures and uh, jetties and things going out into the water and uh, all that kind of stuff. You know, so one of the like minimalistic photos that you can get that way with a long um, with a long exposure. <clears throat> And I'd put in a roll of fresh film, um, people would be glad to hear, and I put a roll of uh, Fomapan 100, which is actually a roll of a film that I got from my Emulsive Secret Santa uh, event back in uh, back at Christmas this year, or last year, sorry. And I, I then, then came up against a bit of a problem. Um, it wasn't particularly bright. I wanted to use a 10-stop um, ND filter, so a big stopper, Lee, Lee filters big stopper, uh, to to get some nice long exposures of, yeah, you know, and and I think the exposures I think were coming out at around about thirty seconds or some something like that, which would have been fine, um, except you do that and you use uh, Fomapan and the um, oh reciprocal is it reciprocal reciprocity reciprocity yeah that's it the reciprocity rule kicks in and that's where um and we've talked about this a couple of times uh, but the 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 correct exposure as you would take on digital if it's over a second you when it's taken on almost all film um if you're using the fuji across or across uh, you get away with it but just about every other kind of film you have to add on an extra period of time so for every second you have to add something longer and uh, some film is much better than others and it turns out that foma pan 100 is about one of the worst possible roles i could have could have used um, because uh, to get the exposure that i wanted it would have meant a uh, some some of the shots would have taken 20 minutes <laughs> and that just wasn't wasn't going to happen you know, you know so uh um so I, I couldn't use the big stopper um and and then the shot without the big stopper wasn't worth taking so i then reverted to plan b and i say plan b but it was actually plan a <laughs> all along um because i took with me my um uh what do they call it pit my pinhole body cap so 
So to going back to answer that question about do I ever use a normal lens, um, I basically use the pinhole um, for most of my shots uh, with my Hasselblad yesterday, <laughs> um, which um, turns out it's around about f two hundred um, is the uh, is the equivalent um, stop on it, and and the actual shutter times, uh, exposure times, I should say. Uh, we're working out around about like a minute and thirty seconds, so I could I could get away with it on with 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 that camera. So uh, I might have taken one shot with a lens, um, but the rest of my I just I just just took one with a pinhole camera, pinhole uh, pinhole body cap. Wow, yeah. So when you when you put the portrait in your Hasselblad, please please use a lens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. No, that sounds cool, though. No shenanigans now, Simon. <laughs> no. I, 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 well, that's the thing. I'm, I'm not going to do long exposures in portrait. Although it could be interesting. I, 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 it, it may yeah, be quite well. I mean, I've, I have done in the time the time when I did use a real lens uh, with my Hasselblad and some slide film. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I did do a long exposure uh, with, with slide film. And... Uh, and it worked really well. Um, and I'd always, I, there's an app you can work out the reciprocity and it's nowhere near as bad uh, for, for uh, the Fuji slide film I was using that it was for this, um, this, this, this foam pan. Um, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, it could be interesting to do that, but I, it's, I, I've been told I've got to take photographs of people. So I'll take photographs of people with the Hasselblad as well. I'll do some right. <laughs> Mainly anyway. <laughs> Um, and then just the other part is uh, I also took with me two other cameras, as you do uh, on this trip. So I also took the Horizon uh, camera, which you've, I've got to take the Horizon camera if I'm going to the seaside, <laughs> haven't I? <clears throat> and, Our birds in flight. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted to try something out, and ultimately I, I couldn't quite do it. Um, and fortunately, there's it, with the camera, it, you, it comes with, if, you, if you're lucky, I guess, it comes with a, a, a two-stop ND filter. Uh, which I used in the end and I was shooting the, the light wasn't particularly great in terms of brightness and so I, I decided I just I just wanted to actually have a go at doing relatively slow exposures with the horizon um, and I, I couldn't I don't think I could really get away with doing anything long uh, anything longer than an eighth of a second uh, which for a long exposure is not particularly good but i'm taking pictures of the sea crashing on the shore with this horizon camera but at an eighth of a second now that in itself is nothing nothing remarkable potentially interesting but and then you factor in that the swing of the hands yeah. from mm -hmm. one side to the other when you're taking a shot at an eighth of a second because it uses a, a, a certain size slit so you don't expose all of the film at the same time it, it the, the slit pans across the, the film plane but it does mean that this 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 scene is going to evolve from the point where i've actually pressed the shutter to the point where the actual yeah. shot finishes mm -hmm. which is round about it feels like about two seconds or so from start to finish of the of the, of the sweep of the sea so i'm i'm really excited as to what those photographs are, are going to come out like yeah. what i wanted to yeah. do was uh, like a one second exposure or something like that but the, the, the light was just too bright and i couldn't get the uh, exposure awesome. down enough so really looking forward to seeing those yeah it um, might even turn out oh sorry go ahead johnny no no i go ahead barry i was just going to quickly say it might even turn out like a really quick time lapse looking thing yeah yeah um, it'd be great if we got a bird flying across at the same time as well, it's a, <laughs> like elongated. <laughs> no, I was I was gonna say it reminds me of uh, 
uh, master wide lux photographer Je- Jeff Bridges some of his uh, long longer exposure wide lux shots. Um, Wait, the dude? Yeah, the dude, man. Dude, he shoots with a wide lux. Yeah. Oh my God. I got to put, yeah. Um, yes. He is like the master of the wide lux. He's been taking wide lux, like photos with the wide lux on film sets for ages and ages. Uh, it's like his thing is that camera. Um, but he does this, he has this technique that he does where he uses the, the long exposure, you know, setting basically. And he swings the camera so fast that he essentially gets two frames of the same thing on the same piece of film, it's gonna blow your mind. Oh, I'm googling it right now. That it's looks gonna crazy. blow your mind. Yeah, yeah it's I'm gonna blow your- Matt Damon and Michelle there you go. Pfeiffer. That's the one. What? Yes. So basically, he swings the camera around during the course of the exposure to make basically two images of the same part of the scene wow. on the same frame. It's nuts. So and the, the time must be, there must be enough time in between. Cause I'm looking at yeah. his picture of Michelle Pfeiffer and yeah. it's her lying on a sofa, smoking a cigarette. But yeah. then the other half is almost her looking disapprovingly at herself. Yeah. It's great. Oh, it's so it? cool. That's so cool. <laughs> so th- there's a lot of my, and my point being, there's a lot of interesting, creative, craziness that can happen over the course of that one swing of the of the lens yeah there's another one with um uh oh what's his name in it right here john Turturro, and it's the same Uh, kind of idea where it's like he's looking over at himself it's crazy yeah yeah oh that's so cool yeah anyway we'll uh i'll include i'll include that link here in the yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think I've got a different different page here. I've got I've got a picture of Philip Seymour Hoffman appearing twice. Yeah, that's yeah, same mm-hmm. kind of same series there. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is seriously cool. Yeah. So anyway, but my point being, playing. You know, it's funny because since we did that um, that episode uh, talking about you know the the Boca Panorama stuff, um, I've really been thinking about that a lot, and it's been cool that there've been so many kind of images that we've seen posted in the podcast group since Mm -hmm. then that kind of related to that idea of um, the passage of time within a single frame or a series of frames, you know, it's a really interesting concept. Is this this, kind of thing? Is this a well-known thing with the wide Lux or is this a Jeff Bridges thing? I, I mean, he, I, he, he, I think, as ma- the master of that camera, I really do. I mean, it's yeah, a, a it's a, it's a well known thing, but it's just, I think, he takes it to like another level with these shots where he very specifically is able to pull this off. I mean, it's quite a feat. It looks amazing, doesn't it? It, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't even have occurred to me to, you know, I, yeah. I've thought a lot about the horizon and how you could use it to pan and stuff to yeah. take advantage of a swinging lens, but. I mean, you have to be as high as Jeff Bridges to think of taking a shot like that, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, and, and famously, I mean, there are you know, you look at those uh, those those t- those photos taken with like a Kodak Circuit camera, which is you, you've probably seen these photos. They they were very common to see from like the era from like 
between the wars from like World War One to World War Two or shortly thereafter period where, you know, you'd get like a whole group, a group photo of like 300 people standing together and it would the the camera would swing across that whole scene right and that's how you would get like this picture this big and, and they're basically these big huge narrow skinny panoramas of big groups like a whole graduating class or you know uh, guys graduating from basic training at some military base but what people would do is you'd get in the picture multiple times because you could like stand there and as the camera was sweeping you could run down and pop your head up further along and then mm. run down and pop your head so you see these pictures where there's like the same person four times in the shot <laughs> <laughs> it's the same idea you know oh that's awesome yeah anyway that just makes me look at jeff Bridges totally but, differently yeah right yeah well it, it, it certainly um Puts into perspective my, my party trick that I did with the the two guys I was I was with into perspective uh, because I was feeling quite happy with this but it's not it's not the same league but there was there were two um, they weren't jetties but let, let's let's call them uh, breakwaters so they were like uh, rocks that that go into the water to um, help with uh, breaking up the waves but they were right angles to each other. And uh, the guys were trying to choose, well, should we do that one or should we do that one and so on. And I just stood back a little bit and goes, I'm going to do both at the same time. Which <laughs> 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 uh, was good fun. This is good fun. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's, uh, that's, that's enough of me. Uh, Perry, you've been up to stuff as well, haven't you? Uh, yeah, sorry. I'm on eBay right now looking at wide Lexus. Stop, stop. Good start, man. start with an horizon and work your way up. Uh, well, it's it costs less than an X-Pan, but they are expensive. Okay. They're, so they've gone up quite a bit. Yeah. Let me close this window before I buy one. <laughs> it's uh, dangerous. Yeah. So I, I have been up to quite a lot. Uh, I mean, while, while we're on the subject of panoramas, I guess, I had another meetup with uh, a listener, Mike Epstein, this week, which was awesome because after I had posted a bunch of Cinestill pictures, uh, a few people, specifically Cheyenne Morrison, started demanding uh, X-Pan photos because we were discussing shooting them in that transitional light, shooting Cinestill in that transitional light. So I met up with him, and we went and uh, walked around a neighborhood that I really like shooting. And, yeah, I mean, I, I've gone through, like, 10 rolls of film this week, which is a little bit wild, but I have developed most of those rolls of Cinestill, uh, I have one more role that's sitting in my Konica Hexar RF uh, that I haven't finished yet. But, okay, so I know I was supposed to spend this week shooting with a cheap lens, the Konica 41.8, uh, but instead I've been out with my X-Pan and the uh, 50 Sumalux. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what to add to that other than I'm really, really happy with the photos because this was that light that we talked about last time, but with an X-Pan, so it's like double the coolness. The The other thing I guess that's interesting was uh, Mike and I were pretty much shooting the same kinds of scenes, and, oh, he's a super nice guy, by the way. We had a really cool chat about uh, about photography, about the kinds of stuff we like to shoot, uh, about, you know, life in general. Um, but he shoots a lot of film. He has, uh, there's a darkroom in Hong Kong that he introduced me to that he actually goes and prints a lot of his stuff, which is super neat. And when it comes to C41, he sends everything to a lab. 
because for black and white, I think he's, he was he's right about this. He was telling me that because there's so much more control in development over the final look, uh, and because he prints in the darkroom, the way that you develop your black and white film has a really big influence on how you print it as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so you know he's very committed to that. Whereas with C41, the lab will just not screw it up and give you consistent results. Um, so one of the things that's kind of interesting is is his photos and my photos are of the same kind of thing, but his are noticeably more contrasty and saturated. And I think that's partly a function of you know him sending it to a lab and them using proper equipment and me developing at home. And then when I scan my negatives, I tend to go for a lower contrast look because I like that smooth sort of tonal gradation. That's why the uncoated lens was such a joy because it gave me even more of that sort of smooth uh, low contrast look that I enjoy so much. But yeah, they they came out really well. I mean, Cinestill on on an X pan is just ah, uh, it's perfect. <laughs> it's magnificent. So there's that. Um, the other thing that I tried was I shot. I was shooting with the Sumalux at fifty one point uh, the the fifty one point four. I was shooting it wide open most of the time on my Hexar RF and it dawned on me that this is one of the few lenses that I have, maybe the only lens that I have that pushes me to shoot wide open. Cause normally I, I wouldn't. And I try to avoid doing that because a, it's the weakest point of the lens and B, uh, you know, your depth of field is too narrow, but the lens just, I don't know something about this lens the way that it looks, uh, it's bokeh just makes me do that. But then I ended up with a bunch of shots where my, my point of focus is just in the wrong place. There's this one photo I posted of a woman getting on a tram and I'm standing literally literally right in front of the tram. But I've focused on the window of the tram just in front of where she's getting on. And that photo would be a billion times better if she were actually in focus. But I did, I did that shot the way that I would do a normal street shot uh, with, with my rangefinders. I was like focus on the front most point that I want in focus and let the depth of field take care of the rest. And it turned out that the depth of field was basically zero. Um, apart from that, uh, so shout out to Mike. That was super fun. Um, I, I had a bit of an eBay failure the other night. <laughs> I was on Johnny's advice. I was trying to buy a waist level finder uh, for my Mamiya 645. And the most frustrating thing happened. I, I was about to go to bed. The finder was, um, the auction was ending in two hours and I was the only bidder and it was at like 10 bucks US. No one was watching it because of the way it was described. So I thought, okay, cool. Let's see if I can snag this for cheap. Uh, so I put in a max bid of 50 bucks, went to bed, woke up in the morning. There was only one other bid, 51 bucks. <laughs> oh, Yeah, but... You know, somebody could have put 300 and it just means it's 51 because it only has to beat you by a buck, right? But doesn't it show it immediately? Well, they they probably sniped it. No, they, uh, probably, yeah. they probably sniped at the end, which is, again, why <laughs> this is also a conversation. There was a big thread about snipe, why it only makes sense to ever snipe things because, you right. no, you're not going to know. Because that bid has only went in probably in the last three seconds of the auction. So you're not going to know if your low bid is going to be anywhere near successful or not. 
right? Because the snipe bit isn't going to go until right at the end. But if people aren't watching, don't have it on their watch list, does this mean there's just like an army of people looking for stuff all the time? Well, it. I mean, if I don't really bid on things at all anymore, but on the rare occasion that I snipe something, I just take it from my watch list and put it into the sniper program. And I, I just set up my bid and forget about it. And then it snipes it at the very, you know, last two seconds before the end of the auction. Yeah, I, I tend to uh, remove things that I'm sniping. I've, I take them off my watch list. That makes sense. Wait, wait. So, oh man, there's this whole because uh, I don't I don't use eBay that much. Wait, there's this whole game that you guys are playing. Oh yeah, yeah. and we're, <laughs> we're, I've got to say, Johnny and I are very disappointed in your, in your Perry. You know, uh, <laughs> very very poor eBay skills here. And Carl is looking down, and he's very disappointed <laughs> right now too. Hey, you you guys didn't talk about this in your buying on eBay episode <laughs> way we back. Must, no, we must have done. We must have done. Have. And we've and we've talked about it many times since. <laughs> Although I, I've never, I've never mentioned of their take, taking, uh, taking the, myself off off a watch list though. That's yeah. that's yeah, that's the first time I've heard that. That's yeah, that's interesting too. So it looks like there's nobody even watching that. That's what I assumed because I, I looked good. at it and I thought, okay, no one else is bidding for this. There's no one who's watching it, so yeah. I'll take my chances. I oh. I probably get asked about waist level finders for the Mamiya now like three times a week because the because the game is the the jig is up on waist level finders and. Now the jig is up on the Mamiya 645. So I, I think I told the story where I famously brought I brought my uh, uh, my Mamiya RZ67 to the shop, and I was going to tr- trade it for the Mamiya 645, like the nice one with the interchangeable back with mm-hmm. a waist level finder. I was literally bringing it in that day to trade it in, and I was just going to swap it out. And this guy walks in, um, this quote unquote student is all I will say, international student, walks in, sees it, says, I'll buy it, and bought it right there on the spot, right out from under me. <laughs> and he got a decent price on it, and we got an even better price on it when we bought it. But like that camera with a waist level finder, forget about it. That's like the new, like I've been asked, I don't know how many times the past month about Mamiya 645s and do we have one and then do you have one with a waist level finder. And it used to be nobody was asking about that camera. It was everybody wants the R, the RB or the RZ or the Pentax 6.7. And now finally everybody's like discovered the 645. So the game is up on that one. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I don't think you're going to find a waist level finder now for a 645 for cheap unless you can come across one like in the real world. You know? Well, there was one locally uh, oh, there? for a good price, but it got snapped up in in like twenty minutes. Yeah, wow. At a shop. Wow. I think I, I think I think I just have to shell out. Wait, so so is the eighty one point nine also skyrocketing in price? Oh, yeah. Because when I yeah. bought mine, it was specifically thinking this lens is going to skyrocket in price. Yeah, no, that was, a, that was a good investment. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you want to cash in, yeah. <laughs> No, I want to use that. I want to use that lens to shoot Cinestill uh, at night, but I still haven't figured out how to focus it, and that's why I want the waist <laughs> level finder because the magnifier right. I know is going to make it way easier to focus than the the prism is just, you know, it it's a it's a combination of having to hold the damn thing up to my eye because it's so heavy. 
Yeah. Whereas just letting it hang there cradled in my hands um, yeah. is just going to be much easier to hold, it, let sure. alone focus. Yeah. That those those cameras are great, but I I I I still think yeah. Without the waist level finder, it's a really and the Pentaxes are even worse. Are really awkward to just walk around huh. with. You know what I mean? They're just it's just a it's just you have so much camera hanging out in front of your yeah. face. You know? I, oh man, I should have known too because I do have a Bronica S two and I've got a waist level finder and a Prism finder for that, ah, and yeah. I never ever ever use the Prism finder. Wow. It's it's so interesting because nobody wanted waist level finders back in the day with those cameras. Yeah. Everybody wanted the prism finder. That was like part of the reason right. you got it, you know? But yeah, it's really fascinating. That's why I got it too, because I thought I, I'm buying this because I want the lens more than I want the camera. So yeah. the one that comes with the prism finder seems like a really, you know, seems like the nicer way to go. Yeah. But yeah. but alas, it's not the case. <laughs> My, my my take on prism versus waist level is uh, was I'd use that with the um, the Hasselblad is that if I'm outside I want to use the prism finder if I'm indoors I go with the waist level. Huh. Ah. Huh. Why? It just seems. It, well, you've you've got the potential of um, uh, sh- having to shade a waist level finder if you if you're working in bright light. <laughs> I usually also find that. I'm I'm really to get a critical focus with the waist level finder. I'm usually magnifying. Yeah. And um, so, whereas if you use a prism finder, you're immediately magnifying to start off with. Effectively, uh, sort of, yeah. but you get less. But it's less. There's less magnification. There is, but there's enough. I mean, there's. A, it, it, I see. I see what you mean. No, uh-huh, I, yeah, I sort of see what you mean too. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an in between level between no no magnification and the particularly higher level of mm-hmm. magnification you get. Plus the other thing is, I've, and I've been caught out with with this before when when you if you just use the magnifier on the waist level finder, you don't see the full image. Um, so yeah, you, you, and and I, I I mentioned this before, um, but I I took a shot uh, of a scene I'd, and I just used the magnifier and then. I then got home and actually saw the photograph that I'd actually taken. And I was using a, uh, one of those compendium hoods, uh, so a really big hood on on the on the Hasselblad, and it wasn't on straight. It was it was it was off at an angle, so it it it's it, it, uh, cut my photos off. Well, there was a, a vignetted effectively, uh, and I hadn't actually noticed it was vignetted. And not only was it vignetting, it wasn't doing it straight. It was doing it at an angle, so I had to like crop. You know, a significant part of my photograph out uh, to get rid of the, um, the, the 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 hood being in the way, and I and if I'd actually just moved the magnifier out of the way, I would have seen that before I'd taken the shot. So uh, I learned the hard way with that one. Oh, I'm just I'm on eBay now looking at waist level finders, and <laughs> uh, <laughs> should have put in a higher bid. <laughs> Yeah, look at the look at one of the sold. I look one of the the sold prices must be interesting on those because I I have a feeling they've they've gone up pretty dramatically here over the past. I mean, waste level finders are getting hard to find for everything and more expensive, you know. And, and one twenty backs, it's the same thing. Hasselblad one twenty backs. I mean, they're they're ridiculous now. Yeah, I mean they're selling for some of them are selling for like 150 US dollars. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yep. 
That's like that's that's as much as I paid, almost as much as I paid for the camera. I know. <laughs> yeah, I've started. I started buying up a while back uh, RZ and RB waist level finders because even uh-huh. though they're expensive, it's on un- it's unbelievable. So we have a little stockpile of them at the shop because I was like, yeah, these are just going to get more expensive. So okay. Anyway, so, uh, on the, on that note, uh, I'm probably going to buy one before the night is over. Um, <laughs> but but on that note, I got a couple of other things, but I think I can save them for another episode. There's just one thing that I want to talk about quickly. Uh, so so I've had this Leica CL that I've been shooting with a bunch, and I still really like it. But the lens that I originally got with it was the uh, 40 millimeter Summicron, and I have since then been because I got the CL for so cheap. I was kind of annoyed at the fact that I was using such an expensive lens on it. So I, I went and I looked at all the other versions of the 40 millimeter lens. And I did end up buying the Minolta Rokor version, but the early one, not the later, yeah, multi, yeah. not the later multi-coated one. So there's a lot of confusing information. Want, yeah. 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 I got it for about 200 and something bucks. Wow. Um, US, but it, so there's a lot of confusing information online about the Rokor, the Sumicron, uh, the CLE version of the Rokor and what the differences are. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to go check all of them out and see what the differences are. So the newer CLE version, uh, it doesn't have the serial number on the faceplate. And it has a very different looking body because they changed the shape of the focus tab. And it is bigger than the other two, which makes it, in my eye, less desirable. But it also has a newer, uh, more modern coating, so the right. colors do look noticeably more uh, modern and rich and saturated and contrasty. <laughs> As for the other two, the Sumicron and the Minolta, apart from the fact that the Sumicron uses uh, series 5.5 filters and the Minolta uses 40.5 millimeter filters, they are exactly the same. Mm. Like I have both lenses in front of me. The only difference is the price. I paid like over 5,000 Hong Kong dollars for it and like 2,000, just over 2,000 Hong Kong dollars for the Minolta. So it costs less, cost me less than half the price of the Sumicron. Wow. They are exactly the same. That's crazy. Uh, apart from the filter size. The, yeah. the, the focus tab is the same. They're exactly the same size. Um, not the newer one, the older one. They feel the same and I tested them side by side on my Sony, on my Leica M240 uh, and... Also on film, the focus cam is the same shape. There's no difference. I even looked at them under light, and the color of the coating on the front is exactly the same. Wow. So the QFM Rokor 40mm F2 is the same as the Leica 40 Summicron, just less than half the price. And it, it kind of annoys me that that Leica Premium exists. Well, I just almost dropped it. <laughs> hey, it looks so great on my Roly. Why don't we just combine the two and we'll have the – yeah. Yeah, so there's a there's a hundred percent plus like a premium on that lens. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh man, so rant over. Okay, well, I think on on that note, we've I think we're pretty much running out of time. We were going to do uh, some of the emails, but I think it's 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 too long now. So uh, mm-hmm. so let's start winding things down, and I'm going to go over to uh, thank 
those people who have donated to us in the last seven days uh, on coffee that's ko-fi.com and search for classic lenses podcast um thank you for for those that have donated in the past and uh, and and this week because it uh, it does help us um so in particular uh, this week since the last uh, podcast let's just check my dates that was a ninth um we have had donations from three people uh nigel cliff again uh is donated to us and... no 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 wrong person oh that's not the same <laughs> yeah that's... Oh, that's not the same oh, Ian. oh we go oh we're gonna have to do it we're gonna have to do at least one email this week now i've just that that is just um yeah we've got to do one email and you know which one it is um, yeah. okay so um but this is uh, from nigel cliff who does not drive a small train in a botanical garden it's a proper train yes with 100 passengers and um nigel cliff um has, has said um the, the colostomy bag and poetry podcast uh, it's got to wow. be a first in podcasting <laughs> which i'm pretty sure it will be um and then uh, Brian Woolworth has uh, donated to us again. Thank you, Brian. And um, and then Laurie Connell um, as uh, says here. Um, I think my favourite part is waiting for the, for the sis and snort stroke chuckle after Forster or G say something outlandish. Lens is zero K two, and uh, occasionally I learn something. So um, thank you, thank you there, uh, Laurie. I, I don't know if we've actually had any sis and snorts uh, this, this week. <laughs> maybe not no no okay so as as promised we have a we're going to read one one email um <laughs> and then we'll do the others uh perhaps next 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 week so uh would you like to read an email John? uh yes this is from ian proper train 007 fleming um and subject is podcast uh, and Ian says, Dear Simon, Johnny, and Perry, I might have got a bit upset by Graham quote-unquote mauling me in his usual style, but I was happy as my partner brought me a camera she paid three pounds for, the Nikon 35AF. Oh, Nikon L35AF. Very good, very good. Um, it works and will be sold to fund my large format money pit. I will be talking her, oh, taking her out for a nice night out. Great podcast. Love the Voigtlander LTMs to Ian Fleming. P.S. It's a proper train. Takes 100 passengers. <laughs> you sort of went into Scots there at the end. There. A little bit. I can't <laughs> yeah. keep straight. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, just on, on, on that note, um, I... Uh, because we we don't like to upset people. Well, there's some people we don't mind upsetting, but we certainly don't want to upset Ian Fleming. No. And um, no. so I, I I took this up with uh, with, with with Graham um, of the Sunny Sixteen podcast, um, who was uh, reading out um, helping us with our letters and things last last week, and um, I wrote to uh, the Sunny Sixteen podcast, and possibly later on today. Graham may have written my uh, read read my letter out, so um, th and that's on their backing paper episode, which will be out later tonight. So uh, I mean, it might have been a coward and not not read my email out at all, of course. So uh, we we have yet to see. So, um, but the good news is Ian, Ian's happy again now. So yeah. uh, and that's 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 all that matters. So uh, so yeah, and it's a proper train. It's a proper, proper train. Proper train. Proper train. Proper train. Proper train. Okay, so has anybody got any shout-outs this week? 
Uh, I have a, another quick shout out to Mike Epstein for joining me on that photo walk. That was a lot of fun and we should do it again. That's good. That's good. Um, actually, on the subject of photo walks, um, because I mentioned, I think, a couple of weeks ago about potentially doing some kind of photo walk um, in the UK, that is. And Nigel Cliff uh, messaged me to suggest doing a photo walk, an evening photo walk at the Birmingham Christmas Market. Um, not too sure when that starts, but certainly when the dark nights are in. And I think that's a, that sounds like a really good idea because there'll be lots of activities and it's about as close as we can probably get to the kind of shots that, that you get, Perry, when at, at night in Hong Kong with the uh, all the, the, the eateries and uh, fast foods and street food places that you, you go past and take some great shots of, except, mm-hmm. you know. We're in Birmingham, and <laughs> this will be in Birmingham rather than Hong Kong. But uh, it's, I think it's about as close as we can get to that. So I think that's a good idea. So if anybody thinks that's also a good idea, then you might want to let me know. And uh, we might, if we can get enough people, uh, enough interest, then we might make this happen. So uh, thanks for that suggestion, uh, uh, Nigel. Um, so, yeah, that's it. that'll be it for me. Um, how about you, Johnny? Any shout-outs? Um, I was looking through my my shirt pockets trying to find my shout out notes and I couldn't find them. So it'll have to wait until hopefully next week when we read, uh, other email. Um, and hopefully I'll have found my shout out note card by then. Okay. All right then. So, uh, Perry, how can people keep up with you when you're not on this podcast? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Flickr at Perry G or uh, on my website, PerryG.com. But I never update that, so don't go there. Okay. And uh, you, Johnny? Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you can find me on uh, Instagram at uh, Sisson Photography, which I also never update, so don't go there. Um, oh, actually, I just thought, I know I said we weren't going to do uh, any more emails, but there was, I think we just need to just quickly cover an email that we got um, about somebody wanted to follow you on uh, Instagram. Oh, yeah, but, I can be sure. I can, read, I can just read that yeah. right now. Um, uh, this is from uh, Ulf. Uh, and Ulf says, um, Johnny, could you please grant my request to follow you on Instagram or perhaps make your account public? smiley face regards Ulf. um yes i will go in and do that because i had not done that in a while and i noticed i have about a hundred requests waiting for people that want to follow me so i will i will do that in addition to sometime before this year ends posting on instagram again and i i did go into a little mini instagram rant didn't i earlier yeah uh which do i don't even know if you have time for that right now but maybe i'll rant about instagram like next time when we read email um, but suffice to say, I haven't been on Instagram as much lately, and there is a reason. Axe grinding sound in the background, um, and that's that's despite the number of incredibly attractive women that want to be your friend. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right, <laughs> right. Exa- yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and 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 want me to follow their jewelry making bead bead, <laughs> you know, company and their their body body sculpting act- activities. So and their big butt, you know, whatever. Um, uh, anyway, you can you can follow me on Instagram, and I might be kind enough to grant your request someday <laughs> at systemphotographyinstagram dot com uh, or or whatever that is. Uh, you can uh, you can find me at Central Camera Company in Chicago in person. 
and if you want to send us an email, please do that to uh, classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, follow the podcast at classiclensespodcast.com. And of course, make sure you follow along also on Instagram with Best Vintage Lens. Um, they're posting uh, loveliness pretty much every day there. Um, and you want to check that out. And you also want to check out Ricardo, frenemy of the show. You want to check out his update, his weekly or bi-weekly update, uh, his show notes for each of our podcasts. So be sure to check that out too. And actually, that's another thing. Um, just to remind you, those we'll close the haiku competition next week. And please send your haikus to classiclensespodcast.gmail.com rather than dropping them into our uh, Facebook group. Uh, which is the Classic Lenses Podcast Facebook group. Right. We're, we're looking at you, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I would, I would just I, – just another, another thing is you can also follow uh, – well, you can go on to YouTube and you can, I guess, listen, listen watch yeah. Yeah. to the podcast. And I guess you can read the, uh, the Sub- uh, subtitles, yeah, which – I guess are hilarious. Um, I'm just thinking, you know, the haiku reading program <laughs> on YouTube is going to be amazing. Oh yeah, it's going to be amazing. I mean that that's going to actually be worth going to YouTube and listen watching to the podcast. That's going to be incredible, especially at the pace that Graham reads them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the accent too, because it's gonna not mm. understand that what kind of English that is. <laughs> I, I, actually, that's that's another thing as well. Um, I'm I messed up a little bit with the editing last week, and probably you know a good third or quarter, or actually no, probably a bit more actually of uh, the uh, original downloads within the, the first 24 hours didn't actually get the full version that I should have sent out because. Um, at the point where we got to the reading of the haikus um, if you remember Perry asks for some music to be played and I found some music and I put it into the recording except I made a mistake and we didn't get the music for uh, myself, Johnny and Perry Um, and then there was a I did remember to actually put in this different piece of music in for uh, um, for Graham um, which is going to, I think, when you actually listen to that, if you actually only ever heard the bit for Graham, then you'll be wondering what on earth is going on. Um, and secondly, even if you did actually hear the three lots of music there, the Graham's music was a bit of an in-joke with the Large Format Photography podcast, so uh, which I'm not going to explain, so you'll have to start listening to the Large Format Photography podcast to understand that one. Um, so, yeah, so if you are... If you're wondering why there was one piece of music on there, it was because I messed up, um, and I did actually go back and put it back. So if you if you want to hear how that was meant to sound, uh, go ahead. If you download it again, you'll actually hear the the correct version with with music playing in the background, some Zen-like music. So uh, sorry if that if that confused lots of people. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so there, there we go. Um, Okay, so uh, that's that's it from us. Um, you can follow me on Twitter as Simon4. I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. Um, we're hangouts in the two places, really. Yeah, the Classic Lenses podcast Facebook group and Photography with Classic Lenses. Um, 
if, if there's something specific that you want to talk to us about on Facebook, then go to our Facebook group. If it's more general about classic lenses in general, then you're better off going into the uh, photography with classic lenses. But you can use both. We don't mind. Um, and uh, I have an eBay shop. If you uh, go on to our notes, which you can find uh, in Actually, I don't think we put the face. Do we put the full Facebook notes? Do we put the full notes in the Facebook post, or is it just on the, um, on the site? No, the full notes aren't on the Facebook post. Yeah. Okay. So they yeah. they're in classiclensespodcast.com. So you yeah, can see just, the, it's just the just the kind of like the summary part. Yeah, yeah, and and, that, and that's fine. So because I mean, there are plenty of people that don't go onto Facebook, and so if you do want to see the notes of the show. Just go to classiclensespodcast.com and find the find the show, and you will see the the, the notes and loads of links as well. So uh, that's a that's the best place to go because everyone can get get to those. Whether you you know Facebook deniers or, or whatever, you can just just go go there. Um, okay, so that's pretty much it. Just want to thank Kevin McLeod for our music, which is uh, Octo Blues, um, and you can get that if you want it on uh, incompetech.com. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show and it'd be great if you can come back in another week and if you can, be like Carl.